York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Because the gas prices are going higher and higher. Your local utility providing you with electricity, those rates are skyrocketing. Home heating fuel oil is doubled, sometimes tripled what it was just a year ago. Never mind the uh, fuel that's used for jets and all the petroleum products, of which there are many that you don't even think about, from your ballpoint pen to the dashboard in your car to the medicines that Big Pharma makes. Yeah, they're all made out of petroleum-based products. We are a nation completely dependent on oil and more and more natural gas. And the prices continue to go up. And up and up and up. So you're getting a, a neck crick for a lot of you because you're driving along. Could have been the uh, Garden State Parkway looking at all those Luke Oil stations. And you're told, no, no, can't buy that. That's Russian. That's Putin oil. But what would happen, ladies and gentlemen, if, in fact, those Luke Oil stations, 200 of them, owned by Vladimir Putin, owned by the Ruskies, would have dropped that price from $5 a gallon to $3.50 a gallon. I'm posing that ethical question to you. If given the choice, Luke Oil suddenly decides we're not going to make any profit. We're actually going to lose money and sell a gallon of regular gasoline at $3.50. And nearby the Shell station, Dutch Shell, the Chevron stations... Uh, Exxon Mobil stations, they're all selling close to $5. Now tell me where you're going to bring your car, your van, your pickup truck in order to buy your gasoline. And if you happen to be driving a truck like so many of you are who are listening to us now and it's diesel powered, you know the price of diesel has skyrocketed too. So what would happen if Luke Oil, again, you know there are 200 Gasoline stations all throughout our northeast in New York and New Jersey, owned and operated by the oligarchs on behalf of Vladimir Putin. It's a Russian uh, oil company. And if they suddenly drop their price to $3.50 a gallon against the prevailing $5 a gallon, a little less, uh, that's being sold at their competitive stations just because they wanted to undercut them. And they certainly wanted to be able to unload whatever uh, of their gasoline reserves that they have because they know eventually uh, they're not going to be able to get any of their Russian supplies since the president of the United States banned, put an embargo in place against Russian petroleum products. 
How many of you to save a buck fifty a gallon? Well, close your eyes, and if you happen to be in Jersey, you got to pump. Yeah, you can't pump the gas, you know. So some guy comes running out, so you don't even have to be seen. You can be hiding in your car. Nobody's going to check out who you are. It's not like the FBI taking your license plate numbers and then tracing them. So you're like covering your face. You don't want anybody to see you, neighbors, friends, anybody. But you're going to get the cheaper Luke oil, even though it is supporting the Russian war machine of Vladimir Putin. Let's open up our phone lines on that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. As we continue to gather up suggestions from so many of you, because by upcoming Friday, we have to have a new name. For what was the other side of Midnight Weekend Edition, as you know, Frank Morano had a hissy fit, decided, no, 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 I don't want Curtis to have that name on the weekend. So we are in full throttle, full search to find a name that's going to fit. Remember, if it don't fit, you must acquit, right? No, no, it's not O.J. Simpson here. No, 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 we're not going there. But it's got to be something that is synonymous with what I do. There's no turning back. He's the golden child now. He can do no wrong with his back-to-back interviews with Roger Stone and Paul Manafort that may well entitle him to a future Marconi Award. He's an untouchable. So we got to sort of pilot our own route. I need as many suggestions. We have uh, close to 300 now. 300! But we're going to have to put them before a focus group and then the mockers, the muckety-mucks, the suits, the owners and operators of our parent company, Red Apple Media, John and Margot Katsimatidis, and whoever they assign this to, will have to sort through the many suggestions. And then by Friday, we got to have it bagged and tagged because, you know, the schematics have to be put together. All the beans who make the sound at WABC, you know, so that it's a smooth transition. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I want to know, come on, be honest. I know it's not politically correct. I know we are supporting the Ukraine, Zelensky, and I realize Vladimir Putin is a totalitarian dictator, thinking he's the latest edition of the czar. Not a communist, he's a czarist. But let's face it, if you were offered a deal, and you know how high gasoline is, or diesel, and you're passing that Luke oil pump, and it's $3.50 a gallon. Come on. I know your eyeballs are falling out. That can't be right. No, $3.50. Man, maybe that was back when uh, that was back when uh, Joe Biden got elected. The president of the United States was sworn in and soon uh, turned off the Keystone Pipeline. Maybe back then, right? Right? About $3.25, $3.50. No. It's approaching $5. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And more importantly today, as you know, uh, Zelensky, who is now the hero of the world, no doubt about it, will probably win the Nobel Peace Prize. Although it's ironic, you win a Nobel Peace Prize at time of war. He's not the one who started the war. But it is sort of odd. He's in the midst of a war. He's asking for more weapons from around the world, and he'll probably earn the Nobel Peace Prize. I'm scratching my head, and I'm saying, okay, good guy, good leader. He's trying to fend off this uh, Russian invasion. They're using all kinds of sophisticated weapons now against Ukrainian forces. 
But the Nobel Peace Prize? So uh, he's appeared before our Congress on a Zoom conference before the Parliament, the House of Commons, uh, and got standing ovations. Uh, Didn't happen in the Knesset in Israel. Interesting. Now, you would think that Israel would be most supportive of Zelensky because he is a fellow landsman. He's Jewish. The leader of the Ukraine is a Jew. And so he appealed to the Knesset for more military assistance. He wants the Iron Dome because, you know, that's the best defensive system for knocking out any aircraft or any incoming missiles that exists in the world today. The United States worked with Israel and created that Iron Dome. So he wants some of that. Israel won't give it to him. The Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, who's been uh, talking with Putin, trying to be the moderator, like uh, Erdogan in Turkey, is it competing with one another and with Macron in France. But he won't budge. They won't give him the Iron Dome. And so I understand. Uh, Zelensky is frustrated at a certain point, and he looks into the Zoom conference and he goes, how could you treat the Ukraine today like they treated us 80 years ago, meaning the Nazis? And then a lot of the Jews in the Knesset say, hey, ho, 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 what are you, a revisionist? Are you kidding? There were 80,000 Ukrainians who were in the SS. They were, they were sympathetic to Hitler. They supported Adolf Hitler. They were fascists. They were guards at the concentration camps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> the Ukraine was not a place, a sanctuary for Jews, that's for sure. So right away, a lot of the Jews said, what the hell is he talking about? The Ukraine back in World War II? A lot of them were fascist supporters of Hitler. They helped to try to exterminate the Jews. And you see, this is the danger when you start comparing to what's happening in the Ukraine right now to the Holocaust, and you call Vladimir Putin Hitler. He's a bad hombre, a real bad hombre, but he ain't Hitler. And we're constantly making these mistakes, right? Saddam Hussein, our friend. And I'm going to tie him into all this momentarily. Our friend, right? Oh, no, he's Hitler. Ah, because we wanted to go to war against him. Bashir Assad in Syria. Oh, he's our friend. Ah, now we got to go to war against him. He's Hitler. Muammar Gaddafi gives up all of his nuclear weapons, right? Who the hell does that? You got to be a schmuck, a pox in this world to give up your nuclear weapons. Because then they're going to roll the tanks in. And in the case of uh, Muammar Gaddafi, remember that picture of that Libyan wearing that Yankee hand who took hat, who took his twenty-two caliber and put it up his Hershey Highway and went pow? And do you think he had kept his nuclear weapons? That would have happened? Of course not. But he was Hitler. And then let's not forget Slobomar Milosevic. We had him over for the Dayton Accord, right in Dayton, Ohio. Now, why you would want to sign a peace accord in Dayton is beyond me. Who the hell wants to go to Dayton? But they did it there in the air hangar, remember? And all of a sudden, Hitler. We got to take him out. So now Zelensky, obviously, he's pissed at Vladimir. So he's saying, look. Vladimir Putin is aiming the final solution at us in the Ukraine now. And the Jews in the Knesset said, no, 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 no. The Ukrainians were part of the final solution in trying to exterminate Jews 
back in WW2. Oh, boy, this was not the kind of reception that Zelensky expected. And this is what happens, and it always happens, when we start throwing around the term Hitler and the Holocaust and the final solution. Because as bad as what's going on in the Ukraine, and it's bad, he, Vladimir Putin is not Hitler. Uh, this is not the final solution that he's trying to uh, institute against the Ukrainians. And it's nothing, nothing compared to the Holocaust. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And think of that. The Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, will not help a fellow landsman. Hmm. A little disturbing here. A little disturbing. Why is Israel hesitating? They will not stop trade with Russia. They continue to have trade. What is it that Israel is thinking that the rest of her allies are not thinking? Because clearly NATO has imposed uh, almost all-out embargo, so has the United States. Why is it that Israel is not? Now, we know they're not sympathetic to Vladimir Putin, but they, they're not doing what they could do. And they're not giving the Iron Dome to the Ukrainians. Boy, that would knock out their MiGs. It would knock out their SAM missiles. It would knock out their sophisticated hardware. They refuse to give it. Ladies and gentlemen, explain that to me. Why? And there is a precedent. Zelensky didn't mention it, but if I was Zelensky, I would have said, hey, remember the Yom Kippur roar? 1973, remember Egypt, Sadat was coming through the Sinai, and boy, they were beating us at that point. They caught us by surprise in Syria. Halafez Assad, the father of Bashir Assad, was sending his tanks in through the Golden Height, and they really had uh, Israel up against the wall. And then the Soviet Union was sending in plane load after plane load of hardware and military uh, hardware to the Egyptians and the Syrians to crush Israel and to drive them in the sea. And then Kissinger woke up and said, hmm, maybe it's time that we uh, start uh, supplying the Israelis. And Richard Nixon, to his credit, decided, hey, we will outdo what the Soviet Union does. And we did and Israel was able to turn the tide in that Yom Kippur War, and you know the rest of the story. And you know what the result of that was? All of a sudden, the Arab petroleum-producing nations led by our so-called fair weather friends, the House of Fraud, the Saudi Arabians with their shmatas on their head, bowing to Mecca and Medina while they're there, and then wearing knockoff Armani suits here, chasing skirts, going to strip joints, and knocking back uh, Jameson. And doing a little cocaine, too, I might add. They decided, you know what? Ah, so you, you, you helped Israel, huh? You helped it. I tell you what, you like Israel so much, how are you going to like it when you push your muscle cars up to the pump in 1973 and there's no gas because we're cutting off the petroleum? All of the Arab nations, producing nations, said, yet to the United States and any of the countries who helped Israel. In the Yom Kippur War. Don't you remember that? Do you remember the lines? Do you remember that you had to go on an odd day and an even day? And there was a shortage of gas. I know I was pumping gas at the time. That's right, 1973. It was Rocky Shell Station right there in Kanasi on the corner of uh, Rockaway Parkway and Seaview Avenue. And I mean the cars were around the block. They were burning. 
more barrels of gasoline just idling, waiting to get their supply. Oh, I'm on an even day. What do you sell? Oh, uh, I'm on an odd day. How about we swap? Swap license plates, right? And then I remember at night, because I was a night manager there and the lines went forever, all of a sudden, an unmarked gasoline tanker comes in. Unmarked. Now, this is a shell station. It's supposed to have the shell marker on it. The guy gets out, and I take the stick, and I'm going to measure. You don't need to. You don't need to measure anything. What do you mean? It's my job. No. I say, hey, where are you from? None of your business. I said, does Rocky know? Don't worry about Rocky. He knows everything. It was hijacked petroleum. It was hijacked gasoline, high test, regular, and then they were starting to sell no lead. The Russians had become very crafty in Brighton Beach and Cheapside Bay, and they were hijacking tankers of gasoline at gunpoint. And so I told Rocky the next day, hey, Rocky, you know, this guy came in on my car. I said, no, 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 you can't put it in. He goes, "Um, Curtis, you didn't see nothing. What do you mean I didn't see nothing? Well, we're supposed to be selling shelter. Don't worry about it, Curtis. Don't worry about it. Remember that, ladies and gentlemen? We've been through this before, 73, 79. Okay. Uh, The young whippersnappers, the hipsters and millennials, what do they know, right? Uh, They had no idea about this. But we baby boomers, we knew what we went through this, 73. And some of us, come on, admit it, when you had to line up for gas for a month of Sundays, and you were burning more gas than you were getting at the tank because of the embargo by all the Arab countries. Should we really be supporting Israel? Really? I'm not a Jew. What are we supporting Israel for? I want to fill up my, my muscle car. Remember? Come on, be honest. Some of you thought that way. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Charles in Garden City. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Charlie. Charles in Kew Garden Hills, Queens. Okay. Uh, great show so far. You're doing great. Uh, I wanted to say the reason that Israel is in a dilemma, in a real pickle, is because thanks to Obama, uh, the Russians got into the Middle East. And the Russians are directly involved in the civil war in Syria, which is going on now for 10, 11 years, where the Iranians are helping as well. Israel keeps on approximately twice a week. Israel attacks the ammunition that the Iranians are sending through Syria to Hezbollah, terrorist organization in Lebanon, which borders Israel. Now, the Russians know exactly what's going on. They have the, what's it called, SA-3s, 4s, whatever. Exactly. They have a deal that Netanyahu and continuing now with with Bennett, Naftali Bennett, the current prime minister of Israel, uh, that he allows it. No, 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 Charles, you are spot on. You have hit the nail right on the head with a sledgehammer. You have pile-drived it in because Israel is basically saying, by not providing the Iron Dome to Zelensky, one of their linesmen, to defend them against the uh, Russian horde, especially all their high-tech missiles, SAM missiles, and MiG jets, that we can't do that because we depend on the Russians to give us information about the Syrians, about the Iranians. So through the KGB, we have a relationship that protects our country, and we have to do what's in the best interest of our country and not necessarily what's in the best interest of the Ukraine, correct? 
that's basically it. They really have no choice because Hezbollah has approximately between 125 to 150,000 missiles that can go practically hit any part of Israel quite with quite precision. They're trying to make it more precise, and Israel won't allow it. Israel has to attack these, these ammunition, yeah. these convoys that Iran, Iran, the Iranians are sending to Hezbollah. Yeah, and you are, you are so right, Charles, every week. Israel, its helicopters, its air force, its missiles are bombing areas in Syria where Hezbollah is getting their missiles in from Iran. You are absolutely correct. And the ones who keep everything balanced in that part of the Middle East between Iran, Syria, and Israel is Putin. That's brilliant. See, Charles got it. The Israelis have taken the position Israel first, like America first, right? Israel first. Hey, Zelensky. And then Zelensky foolishly crawls in to history and says, 80 years ago, 80, they left us to our own means. No, you were part of the Nazi horde, most of you. You ran the concentration camps. 80,000 of you were in the SS. You were killing Jews. He wasn't born then. He didn't, you know, like you hipsters and millennials. He was the king of all comedy. What did he know? Who advised him to say that? He's a bright man. There's no doubt about it. He's under incredible amounts of pressure. Zelensky is. But it ain't about being a landsman. This ain't about being a fellow Jew. Tough noogies on you, pal. And then to say, oh. Vladimir Putin is trying to exert the final solution at us in the Ukraine and compared it to the Holocaust. Hey, I'm not blaming Zelensky. We started with this crap calling Putin Hitler. Remember it was Hillary back in 2014. He's Hitler. He's evil. And then recently, Hitler, Hitler, Hitler. Well, why? Why? Well, maybe two other figures in history or the equivalent of Hitler, Mao Zedong. And uh, Father Joe Stalin, yeah, 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 okay. They're all crazy, psychotic killers. They killed millions. But really, Vladimir Putin, bad, bad hombre. But is he Hitler? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Rosemary, who's calling from the Hudson Valley. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rosemary. Hi, if I may, I'll try to be quick. Two things I want to say. First, my uh, choice of new show title is a uh, holding court with Curtis. Okay, that's my choice. Holding, holding now, court. Now, 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 there's a problem here, Rosemary. I've been in many a courtroom in which I had handcuffs oh, on. I was arrested, oh. and the uh, the judge oh, was uh, deciding okay, my fate. So yeah, yes, okay. Back bad man. So I asked my husband John, and he said. The non-Mama Luke Curtis show. He likes that. The non-Mama Mama Luke. Luke Curtis show. The, okay, I like that. But like that, that that first one, you got to go back to the drawing board. Because normally when they would take me in, sometimes chains and shackles before the judge. Oh, yeah. I wasn't yeah. thinking. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, it's okay. Hey, look, I got arrested okay, 76 a, times. 76 I times. I know. Listen, yes. I, the thing about what you said was I was just thinking the last few days, boy, I think he does have a chance for the Nobel Peace Prize. And wouldn't that enrage the Russians more? Huh? Yeah, but remember, peace, for instance, we talked about 1973. It was Anwar Sadat who led the Egyptian tanks into the Sinai 
It caught Israel off guard. Uh, he was trying to crush Israel, destroy them, drive them into the sea, along with Halafez Assad, the father of Bashir Assad, the butcher of Damascus. He sent his tanks through uh, the Golan Heights, and they tried to do a pincher move on Israel and destroy it, obliterate them. Now, years later, Jimmy Carter is president. Here's Anwar Sadat, leader of Egypt, sitting down with Menachem Begin, unheard of Camp David Accord. They made the peace between Egypt and Israel. That's what the Nobel Peace Prize is. You understand, Rosemary? When you're making peace, when you're involved in war, I don't think equates, as great as Zelensky has been through this great ordeal, I don't think you give him the Nobel Peace Prize because, look, he's asking for weapons. <laughs> he, he says, give me MiGs. If necessary, let me fly him right into Moscow. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily a peacemaker. Hey, he's a fighter, okay? you got to fight there in order to survive. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi routine, you know, turn the other cheek. That's not going to work there against Vladimir Putin. But I wouldn't necessarily suggest a Nobel Peace Prize. It's supposed to be someone who's promoting peace. He's asking for every strategic weapon we have, the Israelis have, the Brits, the French, the Germans have, the Poles have. These are weapons of war. They do a lot of damage. That means you're going to kill a lot of people. You're going to take out a lot of Russians, which he has to do. He's got to stop them in their tracks. But I don't necessarily get a sense that you're a peacemaker when you do that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Dana in Brookville. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Dana. Hey, man. What's going on? Listen, that show station, I used to walk past it to go to PS272. I have one question about it. Who's that hot chick pumping gas? You're right. There was that. And you mean in 1973, right? Yeah, I was going to PS272, exactly. All right, so she lived on Avenue L. Uh, she was single. Her her husband had gone to jail. He was a big mobster. He was up there. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, big time. He was in uh, Auburn. And so she had to go out and get a job. She's pumping gas. And she's also uh, she's doing the configurations of of the, the gallons of gas that were sold because when I would finish as the night manager, I would cover from uh, 10 to 6 in the morning. She would check all the figures. She kept good books. She was good with math. But she was working so hard in order to try to figure out how she could get a few more boxes of Pampers at the end of the week. And, boy, I had just been kicked out of high school, a very prestigious uh, Jesuit high school, Brooklyn Prep. I never went back. And I saw... Here it is, a mother with children working at a gas station. She's wearing Daisy Duke's hot pants. I need to dance because guys are tipping her as she's pumping the gas, and they wanted her to clean their windows. Remember? Something they don't do at gas stations. Right, it's because you know, then she, she once gave me, check this out, she once gave me one of those Giants classes that they were giving out. Yeah, yeah, but you see, they wanted her to lean over the window with the wiper, so that they could get a shot at her Brumskis. I knew something was up with that. And they give, no, look, she, she told me, look, I'm not going to be laying on my back. I'm not going to be a stripper. And she could have been either. She was a drop-dead gorgeous woman. 
that's why I remember. How many years later is this? She said, I have no negotiable skills. I'm a high school dropout. I've got children to take care of. My old man is in Auburn. Probably never going to see the light of day. And, man, she worked hard. And guys would line up just to have her pump the cash. You know, another guy would run over. No, I'll tell you what. I got a few minutes here. And they would tip her. Oh, yeah. Now, back then, 73. What, a gallon of gas was like two bucks, right? Two bills, sometimes above 50. They'd give her a five. A five. And she would put it down her brassiere, you know, keep it all there. Daisy Dukes or shorty short. uh, You see, you remember that, Dana. I do totally remember that. Yeah, you don't remember me. I was pumping gas in the wee hours of the morning. I had a schmata around my head. I looked like I was a member of the PLO because I had an acne attack because I was allergic to the no-lead gas that they had just uh, put on the market. Nobody was buying that. You know, they wanted high tests for their muscle cars. They wanted regular. They didn't want uh, no-lead. Meantime, I'm breaking out. I got that schmat on my head. The Jews are coming by saying, Rocky, hey, do hire a guy, Yasser Arafat's PLO guy. What the, what the, what's that guy with the towel on his head, towel head? Oh, yeah. Actually, you know what's you know funny about that? When they changed over from leaded to unleaded gas, across the street was the Esso station. Yes. And when that happened, it changed to Exxon. That is the right. We had all the action because of that that, uh, that mother uh, who worked the gas station. She worked the yeah, shift totally. from 8 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon. And I mean the lines before there was the embargo, before the Arab nations cut off the supply of oil, there would be lines for her. It's okay. Uh, I got a half hour to wait, and they'd be burning off fuel, burning off. You're just waiting idly. What a great memory you have, Dana. Man, you get high right on that corner between the season cleaners and that gas station. Get high walking past that corner on TV Avenue. Oh, yeah, because all the guys idling, you know, high test. Boy, you, you, you would sniff the high test. Oh, you get a buzz. And then the cleaning fluid coming out of that place. Oh, yeah. And then, remember, <laughs> a lot of guys would come to the gas station for the cigarette machines, especially late at night once the gin mills, the bars were closed. You know, all the guys who were addicted to cigarettes, and they'd be putting change in the cigarette machines, and I'd be looking at them because, you know, the machines never worked. And they'd be hitting the machines, they'd go into their car, they get sledgehammers, hammers, jacks, you know, anything. I, hey, you know, that could be my head. That could be my body. <laughs> crazy Sal, crazy Vinny. I gotta get a pack of cigarettes. Chesterfield, no filters. And they're busting that machine. I say, go ahead, knock yourself out, pal. Why don't you just give up smoking cigarettes? Oh, are you a wise guy? No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Go ahead, attack the machine. Karasi was full of characters back then. Oh, the character. See, yeah, me and my father once saw a guy slapping his wife around in front of food t- the food the, the, the supermarket near there. I forgot what it's called. But uh, it was like slapping her around the parking lot. My father had to get out there and stop the guy. Yeah, <laughs> and that and that sometimes, depending on who the guy was, was very dangerous because oh, yeah. if it was a wise guy, man, that was double trouble. The Lucchese's and Gambinos were all over there. Jewish guys generally tend to mind it. They're the Booker boys, you know. They studied, you know, going to shul, synagogue. You say, hey, those are crazy Italians. You know, let them. Uh, they had certain words. I'm not going to use it here to describe Italians on the airway. Who knows? The FCC might actually say, isn't that one of the band seven words that George Carlin talked about? 1-800-848-9222. Oh, yeah. 
knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Sliwa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. James Gang, right next to that mistake by the lake, Lake Erie, Cleveland. Oh, so good. In fact, they wrote the theme song to the cult classic, The Warriors. Warriors come out and play, but here it goes. What a great song. I'd be jamming this song on my boombox in the wee hours of the morning right there on Rockaway Parkway and Seaview at the Shell Station because I had to to stay awake. And this music would just, like, crank me up because the lines went forever. 1973, did you forget the embargo led by Saudi Arabia, our fair-weather friends who said, oh, you, you helped the Jews, Israel, huh? You're going to pay for that. You're not even going to get an olive oil uh, gallon. Never mind gallons of gasoline. And it was rough. I think it was from like October of 73 to March of 74. And the price shot up 300%. Remember, you can only go on odd days and even days depending on your license plate. That's why I remember my cousin Lenny Beans Bianchino. He had the uh, Plymouth Roadrunner, you know, one of those muscle cars. You get like uh, one and a half miles a gallon. And he would swap the license plates because he, you know, you get a dollar twenty-five, you know, collect change. <laughs> Give me a dollar twenty-five a high test. That's a few spritzes back then. Spritz, spritz, spritz. He go around the block a few times. All oh, the girls would get all excited. Then he run out of gas. He'd be pushing, uh, pushing. The- the Plymouth Roadrunner into the station and trying to get a little jump change just so he could get enough money to go home. Yeah, remember 73? And how the Arab nations tried to turn us against the Israelis and the Jews by saying, you see, if you wouldn't be so supportive of Israel, you'd have lots of cheap gasoline. I mean, we're talking gasoline that was going for like 80 cents a gallon. Now, there were some people out there. They won't admit it now. Oh, no, they won't admit it. What the hell? What are we doing with the Jews over there? That's their battle, you know? If the Arabs want to sell us cheap oil, we got to let them fight, knock themselves out. We need money. We need need the gasoline for our, our muscle cars, our GTOs, our Rocket Olds 88s. You forget that? You forget how quickly... That occurred. And then in 79, how many of you remember what happened in 79? Again, the lines. Boy, this is a great trivia question. What was it that triggered the gas lines in 1979? It was a one-two punch. Bam, bam. One had to do with petroleum itself, and one had to do with a new energy supply. Give you a little hint. 
Right now, we're not importing gasoline or any petroleum uh, products from Russia, right? No, there's an embargo. But we're taking their uranium, 16% of the world's uranium is produced in Russia. Notice there's no discussion about that because our nuclear plants can't survive and stay active unless they have a constant source of uranium. And for us... Russia is a big supplier. Remember how we were all we were kvetching about Hillary, Secretary of State. She signed it was okay. We're going to buy all the uranium from Russia. And then all of a sudden, one of the oligarchs who benefited from that made a massive donation to the Clinton Foundation. I mean, massive. Remember that? How many of you, you were calling up, kvetching about that? It was a quid pro quo, right? We're still importing our uranium from Russia. We haven't cut that off. You would think there'll be reporters out there. Gee whiz, we're still bringing in uranium from Russia. How come we haven't put an embargo on uranium? Because there isn't enough of a world supply. These are questions that need to be asked and answers that need to be produced. But everybody, they follow the same stories. All they do is they keep just repeating one another. Putin, Hitler, it's the Holocaust, the final solution. No, it's not. He's a bad guy, and he's got to be stopped. <laughs> Stop with this. Boy, the Knesset stopped that. <laughs> and those are all, oh, well, they're not all Jews. You got Arabs there, too. You get Yeah, yeah, Arab Muslims and Arab Christians, and you have Jews and others who are in the Israeli Knesset that has about 38 parties represented, including the pot party. That is a true democracy there in Israel. I mean, everyone's represented, far right, far left, and the stoners. It's called the stoners party. They get to do puff, puff, pass before they go into the Knesset and they vote on legislation. 1-800-848-9222. How do I know? I've been there three times. I know. I saw that for myself. No, not the puff, puff, pass. They like hashish from the Becca Valley. Oh, the Lebanese hashish. Oh, you bring that in. Hey, Israeli authorities, they catch you with the hashish. <laughs> I mean, we're talking not quite express. Not quite Turkish midnight express like the movie. But, boy, it is a severe penalty in Israel if you bring in hashish in from the Becca Valley. And if you get caught and you happen to be an American... That's it. You're exiled. You're banned from Israel in perpetuity. Even though you're a Jew, you have no rights to return there. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Steve in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at, at WABC. Steve? Yes, the uranium ore, by the way, was called yellow cake, and Hillary sold it to Russia for the donation to the Clinton Foundation. The reason I called, though, is that the backstory to Vladimir Putin, which many people may not know, he's actually a Judeophile, a person that is friendly and interested in Jews. And it goes back to his childhood. People don't remember that his landlady, <clears throat> when he was a child and his father was very poor, the landlady fed the, the two Putin men breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for, I think, a year to a year and a half. And he never forgot that his landlady was Jewish. Also, his sports teacher in the gymnasium, which would have been the equivalent to middle school or junior high school through high school, who taught him his martial arts, for which he is so famous, was also a Jewish man. And when his landlady emigrated to Israel, he, gave, he went to Tel Aviv and made a lifetime annuity payment 
to support her in perpetuity. She just died recently, and she willed back the apartment to Putin. But the point was, while he was there, he visited Yad Vashem. There are photographs of him in Moscow and Israel wearing yarmulkes, going to the high holy ceremonies in temples. Yes, yeah. in fact, uh, Steve, you couldn't be more hopelessly correct. When I was in Moscow, 94, he was the vice president then. Uh, he hadn't been elevated because uh, the president was Boris <gasps> Yeltsin, a lush, total drunk. The oligarchs were running wild. They were just taking everything they could get their hands on. Uh, and I met Lubavitchers there. Yeah, the Lubavitchers from Crown Heights, 770 Eastern Parkway, the ones who didn't vote for me. After all I did for them, 30 days, 30 nights, during the riots of the Crown Heights, right? hey, Borough Park, they voted for me. But not nah, Crown Heights, huh? You think Curtis Lee was going to forgive? Never. You think I'm going to forget? Never. Just wanted to throw that in there. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Robert in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Bobby. Hey, Curtis. Your show is like a giant Rorschach test tonight. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I don't know where to come in. Uh, let me come in right at the beginning. I got two things to say about if hypothetically Luke Oil, which I just passed uh, the other day, is going down to three fifty. That's a no-brainer. You uh, you pass it by, and you don't buy the oil from you don't buy you don't fill up at Luke Oil. Why is that a tough decision? So now, Robert, that's your choice. But well, do you I mean, think you're asking for you're asking for sort of like you know people to call and give the choice. That's my choice, and uh, I think anybody in good conscience, you know, save eighteen, twenty bucks a tank. Well, second of all, um, I think you got to cut Zelensky a little bit of slack uh, when he's making these comparisons that, of course, are inexact. You know, he's going around the world right now. Let's not forget, this guy's in an existential battle for his, for his own and his country's survival right now, Curtis. And uh, he's going to make an appeal any way he can. This guy's, him and his country's on the edge. And I say that from having two grandparents who fled Ukraine. Uh, believe me, Ukrainian people were not friends of my grandparents when they were fleeing in the pogroms out of Proskurv, which is now Kamenitsky in the Ukraine, which has a nuclear plant, by the way. Um, uh, on one side of my family, half the family was slaughtered in a pogrom. They both got out of Ukraine. Thank God they made it over here. But uh, I could think I just want to say that, you know, that that's all, you know, it, it, I don't look at that and bring that upon what's happening now. Your heart's got to be with this poor country right now. So these are the things I wanted to say tonight. All right, but, but, but now look here. You have Israel. He's a landsman, right? The yeah. uh, Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, says, no, we're not giving you the Iron Dome anti-missile system. No. A thousand times no. So Zelensky, you know what, you know Zelensky is saying, why? Why aren't you doing it? Because Israel has basically said it's Israel first. Look. What you're saying is it's a complicated world. Zelensky's world is not complicated now. Everybody else's is. His isn't. He's got to wake up tomorrow morning. I understand he's got to do what he has to do. But we don't all have to get 
sucked into a vortex that's World War Three. You do understand that, Robert. I well, I agree that, and that's why I'm saying it's a complicated world. But on the other hand, you know, uh, I'm just uh, Robert. I'm just saying here. If you look at his appearance today before the Knesset, mostly Jews, not all. You have uh, Arab, uh, some Arab Muslims, Arab Christians, Jews, some others. But some of them took great offense and they said, no, no, we're not giving you the Iron Dome. No, no, we're not going to put an embargo on Russian products. Now, why them? What is it that Israel is thinking and if we don't give everything, if we don't give MIGs, if we don't put in a no-fly zone, we're bad. What does that make Israel? What Israel is thinking right now, that the stakes of having Russia as a soft ally, and the gentleman who talked about information is absolutely right that they depend on. What Israel is thinking right now, that, that they're saying that it's, it's going to be much more difficult to lose Russia as a soft ally and maybe turn Russia hostile against it than it is to help out. Right. Like, like Robert, like, remember, right. in 1973, when the Russians, the old Soviet Union, resupplied Egypt and Syria that almost were on the verge of destroying Israel. And then Nixon said, for whatever planes you're sending in Russia, I'll send in two planes and thankfully gave the Israelis the armaments that they needed to win that Yom Kippur war. And as a result, the Arabs said, oh, yeah, you like you like the Israelis, you like the Jews? Well, you ain't getting none of our petroleum. Yep, and I we, remember it well. Yeah. I was, I'm about your age. I right, remember and, and well. re- remember how some in our community, some in our community, the Gentile community was saying, eh, do we really have to be so supportive of those Jews over there? Let them knock themselves out. That's their war. Look at it. We, we can't even get gasoline in 73. A lot of that hasn't changed up till today. But the tragedy is, beyond everything you're saying, and I agree with you, the tragedy to wake up in the morning and to watch the indiscriminate bombing of Ukraine, and you are a Jewish nation whose worst nightmare is that happening to the state of Israel, it just paints an insoluble picture of, of I, I can't even describe it. So on one hand, I'm a Lonsman. On one hand, I understand why Israel doesn't do it. On the other hand, I can't support that either. So it's just, what can I tell you? We live in a terrible world in many ways. No, no, but you uh, you framed it perfectly, Robert. You framed it perfectly. It is a dilemma. It's an ethical dilemma. It's a moral dilemma. But I think Israel has said Israel first. If we don't protect ourselves, nobody else will. And they are right about that. one 800 Oh, it's Phil. Phil in Mendham, uh, New Jersey. You want to blame Obama for this? How, how, how is Obama at fault for this, Phil? No, I think it got lost in the translation. Oh, okay. That's what right. I wanted to say. What I, what I wanted to say. Number one, you're managing your show. You're managing some great uh, speaker uh, listeners tonight. Some callers, I should say. I'm really, really learning a lot just by listening to everybody, kind of fleshing it all out. I just wanted to add a small point because I just never hear this, and it's this. One of your callers, he did edify me, but he mentioned Obama. You know, he dinged Obama because of a lot of missteps Obama made in his presidency, foreign policy-wise. 
But, you know, they, the Israelis did need the intelligence and everything, so that explains what's going on today. But what, what's not mentioned is that when uh, General Mathis uh, resigned the Department of Defense, he did so as a result of uh, Trump uh, pulling out of Syria uh, and uh, basically after a phone call with Erdogan. And, and the thing is, is we had like a few servicemen down there. Uh, I mean, we had troops down there, but we'd only lost like, you know, five or, or 10 soldiers in like uh, five years or more. And the Kurds had lost like 30,000 people, soldiers uh, eradicating ISIS. Phil, Phil can and I give we, you, we, let, me, let me give you some of the mindset on that. Donald Trump had a alliance with Putin in that we had to keep our uh, airplanes, our jets away from one another. Because remember, we had a no-fly zone in one area. They had a no-fly zone in another area. And it was it was critical because if we were to spark up with the Russians, oh, boy, that's double. It was a situation. We were guarding the oil fields that was in the Kurdish area of Syria. And some Russian mercenaries uh, were ordered to attack the oil fields. And our military killed 300 Russians, Phil. 300 Russians. That's documented. And Vladimir Putin didn't blink because he recognized can't go to war for that. No, 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 no. A mistake, a, a terrible mistake was made. But we're learning about that now. How many years later, Phil? But I'm just saying, Curtis, do you, we had a presence down there, and it was for a pretty low cost, our presence uh, in Syria through the Kurds. And now we're out of the game down there. Yeah, but I, I got to tell you, I think Trump, and I wasn't the biggest Trump supporter. A lot of times I was at odds with him. Was he recognized, wow, we just killed 300 Russian mercenaries. This ain't going to get any better. We got our jets in the air. They got their jets. It's going to be a clash. It's either us there or the Russians there overseeing this. And I think tactically he decided we would pull out of Syria because the Russians had done uh, the heavy lifting in Syria in uh, attacking ISIS and al-Qaeda and the other fundamentalist Islamists who were trying to overthrow Bashir Assad and reestablish the caliphate that had been denied them in Iraq. But when we abandoned Afghanistan, that was a full all-out abandonment. It's not what Trump did in Syria. I mean, what what our president, Joe Biden, did in Afghanistan was a double discraziata, double shan. And remember the experts, oh, it'll take uh, the Taliban months before they get to Kabul. Within a week, they took over. And where were all the Afghans that we had trained? They took their uniforms off. It's tribal there. So the Taliban come with a basket full of money. Hey, I'm a Taliban. They've always been that way. Ukrainians are not. They're going to fight. You see, they're not running. They're not cutting and running. They're not taking these off. They're not trying to do what. <laughs> Remember what happened when uh, when uh, Al-Qaeda was on the run outside of Kabul and they were going through Torah Torah and the B-52 bombers were dropping and Osama bin Laden, tough guy, was in a burqa. Escaped in a burqa. The guy's like six foot nine, right? He's in a burqa. And he's because we cut and run, ran in Afghanistan. We didn't cut and run in Syria. Not at all. And by the way, when we were in Iraq and Mosul and we were fighting against ISIS, you know, who was fighting side by side with us, the Iranian guard, the Iranian guard, our enemies. 
But, you know, just like in politics, war makes strange bedfellows. One minute you're, you're our friend, you're our ally, then the next minute you're Hitler. Beware. Every time somebody refers to another leader around the world as Hitler, I said, uh-oh, we want, somebody's beating the war drums. We're getting ready to go to war. Remember, Gaddafi was Hitler? No. Bashir Assad was Hitler? No. Uh, Vladimir Putin was Hitler? No. Slobodan Milosevic uh, of uh, Serbia was Hitler? No. Were they bad hombres? Yes. Were they very bad hombres? Yes. But they weren't Hitler. And it wasn't a holocaust. And they weren't trying to put into place the final solution. Let's go to the phones, uh, if we can. Uh, let's go to Paulie calling from uh, Neptune, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paulie. Hey, Curtis. I can't believe I'm on the air. Uh, but anyway, aside from that, it took me a while. And I wanted to talk about 1973 and four. I was a gas pumper. And I had two children married. And uh, when the, the lines... And uh, it was crazy. The uh, We used to put up a sign when, that we had no gas when we had gas <laughs> because we had a select few uh, inner circle people who could fill up their car. And uh, Paulie, just, Paulie, Paulie, let's be honest. It wasn't a select few. They, they greased you more than the price at the pump. They gave you more money for the gasoline there. That's why you said... Out of service, no lean, right? Yeah, but we had plenty of gas. I know that, fuel. Paul. We, we did because the same. I had a paper route at the time, oh. and I had to drive 65 miles every day to deliver my papers. I was supporting a family of four at the time, and I did support the family of four at the time with Good. a paper route. Good. Now, what, uh, what, 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 route. what newspaper were you delivering at the time? Uh the uh, home news. All right, home news. I was delivering uh, the daily news. I know what you were going through, except I did my... Oh, I worked for the Star-Ledger, too. No, we no. used to get, like, we thought it was big money for the Star-Ledger. Um, yeah, but you uh, see, that, 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 that... there for the weekend. That was the day, and, remember, Paul, everybody got the Ledger. Star-Ledger all over New Jersey was the state newspaper. Now try to find a hard copy of the Star-Ledger. The daily news. I used to deliver 182 on Sunday, 168 dailies. And especially coupon day, all the ladies would be waiting. And if you didn't have the paper there by 5 o'clock in the morning, that's it. You weren't getting paid on Friday. And by the way, a lot of the guys who claim that they were big tippers, hey, I'll catch you next Friday, Sliwa. I nearly went bankrupt. That's why I knew I was not right for business, by having a paper route in which I couldn't even pay for the papers the next week because there were so many deadbeat slackers and Norduels out there. Don't get me started as we continue on. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Yeah, pump it up. Energy up. Nobody's going to sleep tonight. Oh, no. When Curtis Lee was rocking the microphone, it's better than Red Bull. It's better than caffeine. Not quite cocaine or meth, but I get you pumping and jumping with songs like this. Burn, 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 
Let me take you back to the summer of 2021. It was August. It was in the midst of the mayoral campaign. I was running against Eric Adams, the Democratic nominee, and uh, Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor that dope from Park Slope, actually said, remember... We have the vaccine. He wouldn't say the Trump vaccine. We have the vaccine. If you get vaccinated, whether it is two shots or the J&J one shot, you can take your mask off. Remember that? It was August of 2021. Down the block here from WABC, I had assembled crowds of people who were doing the hustle, the Patty Duke, the bump. It was great. The tramps from Philadelphia. That's right, the actual tramps. You know how they have these bands nowadays. They say they're the original band, and you say, I don't recognize any of them. <laughs> right? No, it was the original tramps from Philly. And they were singing this song right in the street of 50th Street. They had a block off the whole block. People were partying, racing the roof. And then I took out my old stickball bats. And I said, it's time. It's time. And what do they say? We're burning the mass, right? And so people were taking the mass off. We put them stretched out right on the stickball bats. And I started torching them, except some of them were plastic. So they wouldn't torch. So I'm saying, this is embarrassing. There are cameras from all over the world. We're celebrating the no-mask equinox here in the streets of New York City due to what the mayor, de Blasio, has said. If you get the shot in your tush, in your tukis, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And I ended up burning my whole hand, but it was worth it to get rid of those freaking masks. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Within weeks, a new variant emerged of the many variants. And now all of a sudden, not only did I have to wear my Depends below my navel, I had to put the Depends back up on my face. Like all of you, right? Oh, you go to a restaurant, gin mill. Uh, then the Vax Passport, it got worse and worse and worse. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what's happening now. It's starting to beat the drums. It's happening slowly but surely. The headlines are saying another COVID surge may be coming. Are we ready for it? And naturally, Fauci and everyone else, ah, yeah, it's a sub-variant as opposed to a variant. Do you really trust these people? They live to mask us up. They live to crush us with all kinds of executive orders. But right now, they're all saying, not a problem. We can deal with this sub-variant. We're not going to be masking you up. Sorry, the kids are not going to have to wear masks in school anymore. I don't trust them. Because I see what's happening, and I take it back to the East European continent, where millions of uh, Ukrainians are fleeing their country. Most of them are going to the West. Some of them are being forced to go up to Russia and Belarus. But a lot of people don't realize that only 30% of the people in the Ukraine are vaccinated to begin with. And now they're huddled in basements, they're put on trains and buses. Uh, They're in the worst conditions for the spread of COVID-19, and it's spreading like wildfire. And naturally, when they're entering Poland, which is accepting the majority of the refugees, or nearby Hungary or Romania or some of the other countries, they're bringing that COVID-19 with them because they're not stopping them at the border. They're not testing them. They can't do that. The, The lines are just so humongous. But with that, they're going to be carrying it into Europe. 
And then you know what happens. North America, the rest of the world, and then there's the new variant in Red China. They're locking down whole cities in Red China. It's affecting our supply chain because in many of those cities, the factories have gone dark. They normally had three shifts, no shifts now. Uh, They're in lockdown. And it's going to be spreading because their vaccine was not like Trump's vaccine. It wasn't like Moderna. They pretty much did it on their own. But clearly Pfizer, that was that was subsidized by the federal government. They reported a profit of $68 billion. $68 billion. I don't know what Johnson & Johnson with the one shot, not as effective as Moderna, which basically self-financed their vaccine, whereas uh, Pfizer took the money, uh, as did Johnson & Johnson. But clearly our vaccines were better than the red Chinese vaccines or the Russian vaccines or some of the other vaccines, the vaccines that came out of India. And this is the problem that we have now, is that we are going to have an uptick of COVID. There's no doubt about it. The benefit for us is that the temperatures are getting warmer, and it's not the same as when the temperatures begin to plunge or they get sub-zero, and then people are all within a closed a condensed area like they are in their homes or in restaurants or bars or other places uh, where people frequent uh, if they happen to be working back at the office. But it's coming. Look, I'm ripping read here. Virus rate inching up on uh, Long Island. No subvariant blame. But don't panic, experts say. You trust these so-called experts. They've screwed us every which way. They had us believing no mask in August of 2021. What a fool I was out there burning masks, calling it the no mask equinox, bringing the tramps in from Philadelphia. It was a great party, but only to see it all undone. And now our mayor, Eric Adams, has appointed a new New York City Department of Health Commissioner, Ashwin Vassant. He's probably going to be doing all the commercials now. Not that guy who just left. Oh, was he lame? But this guy is lame, too, because this guy is saying, wait a second, we're keeping our vax mandate in place. He goes, we've been down this road before to the point where we thought, okay, it's over, and then for it to just come back again. So now, remember, New York City, where there's a 75% vacancy rate in the in the buildings that house the workforce. And by the way, St. Joseph's Day, you know, the Siciliano celebrated that on uh, Saturday. Workers of the World Unite, that's the worker's saint. The patron saint is St. Joseph, the carpenter. But with that in mind, 75% of the office buildings are vacant here. The workers have not returned. We are the only jurisdiction listed as having a private sector mandate according to the National Academy for State Health Policy Survey. Why are we the only ones mandating that the private sector must, must have this mandate in full effect where everybody has to be vaccinated and have the boosters? And more importantly, the uh, little kiddie poos, you know, who are five or less, you know, walking around, picking up their masks off the floor, the teachers talking to them with a mask on. The little kids, they can barely understand the teacher to begin with. They don't understand. Nobody understands what's going on. But that is going to continue. And now we have a booster obsession. How many boosters have you had? You know, this is not like the booster bag that you had to fill with the money. You know, when you go to an Italian wedding and the uh, 
uh, the bride would have the booster bag, and actually everybody would see. Oh wow, you're given an envelope. I wonder, I wonder what Charlie's got in that envelope, Charlie and Louise. I wonder if they're, you know, short. I wonder if they're really big, big spenders here. If they're filling up the booster bag. Remember how that was at Italian weddings? Well, now there's this booster obsession. In Israel, they're claiming you're going to need four shots, four shots to be considered legit. Oh my God. And then remember, uh, the Irish prime minister was here for our St. Patrick's Day. He would much rather be here because if you've ever been in Ireland like I've been in Dublin, oh, man, that is a disappointing St. Patrick's Day. A small parade. They don't make a lot about St. Patrick's over in Ireland like they do here. It seems it's more of an Americanized kind of thing like it was today in Pearl River. They're still celebrating in the streets. It's 10 o'clock at night, the second largest St. Patrick's Day parade in all of New York State, Pearl River, the Irish Riviera in Rockland County. But the Irish leader came to America, had one cup of Irish coffee, and they said, Mr. Prime Minister, we got to take the swizzle stick and put it right up your schnoz. They tested him, rapid test, boom, he had the virus. He couldn't meet uh, President Joe Biden or do what he was doing. They had to cancel all events for him. And I said to myself, is this a precursor? Is this a hint of things to come? Notice, he didn't have the luck of the Irish, did he? He came to America and he got coronavirus. Not in Ireland, not in the land of era, era. No, he kissed the Barney Stone. You know, he was on uh, uh, Aer Lingus Airways, you know, first-class accommodations. He comes to America. He gets COVID-19. I'm just not sure of how we're going to handle this. I know I hear our leaders, Democrats and Republicans, saying we can never go. We can never go to lockdown and pandemic again. I hear uh, uh, crime wave uh, Kathy Holcomb, uh, our governor, uh, Mayor Eric Adams, uh, Murphy, the governor, who calls everybody a knucklehead in New Jersey. Why you reelected him is beyond me in New Jersey. A pox on all of you. No wonder why so many of you are fleeing New Jersey as we speak. But COVID cases are predicted to rise in the coming weeks because of the new variant BA2. You know this is the beginning. Fauci saying, don't worry about it. And every time he says, don't worry about it, then all of a sudden... Everybody's got to put on two masks, three masks, four masks more. The Los Angeles Unified School District, the second largest in the country, second largest only to ourselves, announced an end to the indoor mask mandate for their kids. Glory, Haliaski, hallelujah. I have a feeling it'll soon be reimposed. And with only 30% of all Ukrainians vaccinated, and millions fleeing that war-torn country, most of them going west, some of them being forced to go east to Russia and Belarus. That's going to spread it even more. I'm just, look, uh, you know, I'm like Paul Revere. I'm just giving you the news here. I just don't trust any of these officials. I don't trust them. They're not DeSantis. They don't hold the line like he did in Florida. He did not fold like a cheap camera. He did not capitulate. He said, no mass, no mass, no mass, no social distancing, even though he had more senior citizens per capita, per square inch. And that reminds me. After I did the show today, Left versus Right with Chris Hahn from 3 to 5. If you missed it, you can get it on podcast. You know where I went? I went to a diner with my son. 
because it was take our kids to WABC day. He brought his daughter. I brought my oldest son, Anthony. You know what my son ordered me at the diner? The blue plate special. Was now get this, a bowl of chicken soup, a half a sandwich of tuna fish, and Jello. I hate Jello with a passion. And it said, I said, Anthony, you're 18. You got your senior ring. You, you want a, a brand new Dodge Charger when you graduate high school? Why did you order me the blue plate special? He said, Daddy, you're going to be 68 on March 26th, and you're starting to show. What it is a senior citizen is. Imagine, bowl of soup. So I had to schlep it, you know. uh, But at least it didn't get on my red sateen jacket. I'm proud to say that. Half a tuna sandwich, not a full, because, you know, when you're an old-timer, you can't eat a full tuna sandwich anymore. And that green moldy jello. That's what I had with my son today, which... uh, has caused me a lot of distress. You think I'll be lining up every day for the blue plate special at like 4 o'clock? You know, right after I listen to uh, Rudy Giuliani, my Cumbadicic, Monday through Fridays, 3 to 4. Oh, by the way, I'll be substituting for Rudy tomorrow before uh, Bo Snurdly comes on from 4 to 5. And then John Katsimatidis with his renowned, world-renowned uh, 5 o'clock roundtable discussion. But will that be my routine? I'm listening to Rudy. At the end of Rudy, as he gives the final message uh, of the mayor that day, hey, it's time for the blue plate special, Curtis Sleeve, while the pigeons follow me. Is this what my life has become? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Milford, who's calling from Middle Village in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Milford. Why, Harry Curtis, I can't believe you took my call. This is the Guardian Angels CIA division. The CAS and the OVA and the rest is FLY. I was going to say something about the um, subject about the petroleum. You you had what was going to take the place of petroleum, which would be corn. Would that be corn? Uh, No, it's not (laughs) ethanol. And it's not the petroleum product you used to use in your hair, brill cream, a little dabble, do you? Uh, by the way, that Exxon across the street was owned by that singer Alicia. She used to pull up in an old Audi with the with the fa- she, the father and the brother owned the Exxon station. Oh, I know. Across the street, they, they were not happy campers when they saw me running that uh, Shell station uh, overnight, and the lines went uh, went ten blocks down in '73 when we had the uh, the Arabs cut off all. Uh, all the petroleum coming into our country, and then back in '79. You know what? You know what caused it in 1979, Milford? I was 19. I was nine years old. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> You're nine years old. You were yeah. cognizant. You were cogent. Don't you that's, remember the lines in 19? That's when Sonny on the bamboo where where I met um, Isai Morales already. That's when he, uh, my grandfather used to go out with him on the boats and stuff and everything. But a yacht club. That's right. You're, you're right. The Bamboo Lounge from Goodfellas was not in Howard Beach, was not in Ozone Park. It was in Canarsie, right there on Avenue N and Rockaway Parkway. And they torched it. They torched it right there. We passed it one day. We said, oh, they got the insurance money. I'm glad we're getting some. How about the Charcoal Chef? And they broke my heart when they took that diner away. I used to work at that newsstand all night when 65 cents.
I see Milford, he'll keep reminiscing, he'll be talking on and on. He was only nine years old in 1979. Now, remember 1979. You folks out there, you only remember from 1979 what you want to remember. So if you were a Met fan, who I hate, I loathe, I despise, you remember, oh, the Miracle Mets, Seaver, Kuzman, Ron Swoboda, Tommy Agee, Cleon Jones beat the Baltimore Orioles 4-1 in the World Series. The Miracle Mets, right? It was the summer of Woodstock, a half a million strong up the New York Turnpike, right to Bethel, New York, right next to Woodstock. Remember that? You remember that? What else was 1979? How conveniently you forget. Oh, the first man on the moon, right? Lance Armstrong, right? Oh, remember, everybody watched that. Well, was I wrong on that? You correct? Yeah, go ahead. Get on the microphone and correct me before some Gabon calls me up and says, what What? Uh, what NASA program are you talking about? 69. You're thinking of 69. No, 79. So, well, the man on the moon. 69. 69. No, you're right. The Mets were 69. That's right, 69. Woodstock was 69. <laughs> right. But 10 years later. Who remembers what happened in 79, huh? Do you remember? I, was, I don't remember either. Why? How is it you remember 69, but you don't remember 79? Well, I only know the, the uh, Mets and the, and the land, okay. the morning of the All land. Right. 79, I remember Donna Summer and Hot Stuff. That's, All what, right. I, that's what I remember. Okay. All right. And remember, they said that Donna Summers was a transvestite. Remember? That was a yeah. big rumor, the big urban rumor. It turned out not to be true. In fact, she was quite the evangelical. But... Everybody knows about 69, but everybody conveniently forgets what happened in 79. Gas lines. Gas lines forever. The price shot up. You needed a reverse mortgage to afford gasoline, home heating, fuel oil, um, the petroleum product that was turned into jet fuel, all of that. You forget that. And what two situations caused that? Now, I cannot believe that none of you have strung that together. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Uh, it does require a connecting two separate energy sources. A, nuclear power, 1979. And B, the Persian Gulf. Not the Arabian Gulf of the Saudis, but the Persian Gulf. What happened in 1979 to cause a limitation on the available petroleum that caused the price to skyrocket and the lines to go around the block. And then eventually nuclear energy, something happened that year that caused people to hit the panic button and hoard gasoline, hoard gasoline. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Kevin, who's calling from the East Village. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kevin. Curtis, I would say the Iran hostage crisis. Very and, good. And I would also say Three Mile Island. Yes. You scored the daily double, so let's string it together. So in 1979, in which uh, very few people want to remember that we went through the same process of skyrocketing costs at the pump and all the other petroleum products, because, Kevin, a lot of people don't realize that most of the petroleum is not used for fuel. It's used in the manufacture of products, pharmaceutical products, fertilizers, things that have nothing at all to do with energy. So we are so dependent on petroleum products. But what happened was, you were absolutely correct, the Shah of Iran was sacked. He fled. 
the Ayatollah, they brought him in from Paris, remember, and he took over. He had the, the Iranian Revolution, and there was an Correct. immediate drop in production of Iran, which was one of the top uh, petroleum producers in the world. Crude oil doubled. It went up to $40 a barrel from $20 a barrel. And that's when there was the push to have, remember, GM, Chrysler, Chrysler, which had been on the verge of going bankrupt until Lee Iacocca saved it, and Ford. All of a sudden, no more muscle cars, smaller, more fuel-efficient cars. Remember, that whole thing came about because of 1979. And then, Kevin, uh, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, as soon as the Ayatollah got in, we encouraged our friend at the time, our very dear friend, Saddam Saddam. Hussein. He wasn't Hitler at the time. He was our friend. We said, Saddam, we're going to give you weapons of mass destruction we want you to gas the Iranians. And he did. And he was our September, friend. September 1980s, going to war. Yeah, he was. And what did that do to the oil from Iraq and Iran? The Straits of Hormuz? There were no ships going through there because they were bombing each another's uh, oil. Oil tankers coming through. And the largest producer at that time since Iraq and Iran had to cease production because they were in this horrible war, six-year war, in which they were they were firing missiles uh, at their petroleum production plants, became the Soviet Union in 1990 as a result of that. And Three Mile Island, which occurred in March, there were panic buying, long lines, because people thought, God, if Three Mile Island melts down, we're all going to have to drive away, because they had us believing that was like Chernobyl, remember? Curtis. Yes. One thing on the uh, Israel's reticence about criticizing or sanctioning Russia is I don't know if you've said it on the show yet. Russia is the intermediary in the talks with the uh, the Iran uh, nuclear talks. Yes, it is. And, and they might fear Russia could slide things. So Russia could slide things in their favor a little or against them. So I'm sure they're very careful with Russia, with Russia being in those talks besides Russia being on the Syrian border. Right. And what does that mean is they've adopted a policy of Israel first. Correct. They've also set themselves up possibly to be a mediator. Yes. Uh, he is trying, the prime minister of Israel, to be the mediator. Macron in France has tried. And naturally, Erdogan, never trust Erdogan in Turkey. He's trying to be the mediator because they know uh, if you are deemed to be the mediator, so that if Putin says, yeah, I can deal with Erdogan or uh, I can deal with Nef- uh, Neftali, uh, the prime minister of Israel, or Macron, you're going to be dominating the headlines for days and days and days. Correct. Right. But you notice this is a fellow landsman. What have we been told by Zelensky? Ah, they can't be fascist. You know, Putin says fascist. How can they be fascist? They have a Jewish president, which is absolutely correct. The Ukrainians knowingly a majority Eastern Orthodox Christian nation elected a Jew. There was no hiding that. Zelensky was proud of his Jewish faith. He goes to his landsmen in Israel. He goes, look, they're trying to crush me. They're trying to destroy uh, the Ukraine. It's their final solution. He's Hitler. And they said, no, no, I'm sorry. We can't give you the Iron Dome. Can't give you what you need to protect yourself against the technological advantages that the uh, Russians have with their aircraft, with their SAM missiles, and their other missiles. 
And that's right. that's not a story that's being told here, is it? I think it's going to start getting out tomorrow. And again, that might be Israel overtly. We don't know what's being done covertly. But as of now, the story you just said is the one that stands. Yeah. So when everybody backs off a little bit, like NATO countries or even we saw Bulgaria, they were protesting against uh, General Austin visiting there uh, from the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Bulgaria was saying we will help in every way with humanitarian supplies. We will take in refugees from uh, from Ukraine, but we will not give them any of the military supplies that were provided to us by the United States. All of the countries are going to have some of their own self-interest involved. Nobody wants to get involved in World War III. Nobody wants this to spread. Those countries are on the front line. They're the ones closest to it. But the reality is they're together now. But if all of a sudden Zelensky pushes them too hard, then all of a sudden they opt for this NATO first, Israel first, America first policy. I know he's he's walking a tightrope. I know it's a lot of pressure on him. But demanding a no-fly zone, no, that's war. Uh, demanding MiGs, no, that's war. Sorry, can't do it. Israel had no problem saying to him, no Iron Dome. To a landsman, someone who was beloved in Israel. Why? Why did they say that? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Stan in Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Stan, the man. Yes, that is a defensive weapon, not an offensive weapon. Okay? Yes. Okay. Now, uh, I don't want Israel involved in any negotiation on this deal. It is a disaster for them if they get involved. I mean disaster. Russia will take it out on them one way or the other. They've got to stay out of it. I think I mentioned this to you before, but I'll mention it again. One nation who is not a member of NATO and who is not a member of the EU is the only nation that could take in planes. And what is that nation? Don't get crazy on me. The Vatican nation. They have their own land. I'm not talking in the Vatican City. They have their own land. They have hundreds of millions of dollars. They can allow Poland to put planes on their land. The Pope takes off from a private uh, landing strip. They have their own, put the planes on there. But the Vatican will have to change 90 years of what they've done in the past to do it. A Catholic president has to go and tell them. The Polish president, I think, who's Catholic, has to say, go in. And Russia will not attack them. The United States will. It is the only place where the planes can be put and take off. Now, 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 well, one question, though, first. The only presence that the Vatican has in Vatican City. I'm not talking that. We see what they have, not what they they, is the Swiss Guard. Not a a fighting force. No, no. Listen to me. They have land. Forget the Vatican. Oh, no, they got a lot of land. Yeah, and it, the Pope takes off from a private airstrip, ten miles. It's about a mile to all. The, if they can negotiate, if the Pope allow them to negotiate with Poland, and, and we have a Catholic president who will back up the Vatican, let the Polish state put the planes on Vatican land, bring in the Ukrainians, train them quickly, and they can fly in. That, uh, Putin will do. The Vatican. Pope Francis. By the way, Pope Francis used to be a bouncer, remember, in uh, Argentina? 
Did the last tango in Argentina there? Buenos Aires? Here's a bouncer. No. No, the Vatican cannot get involved in this. Although he's right about landowning. You know, that's why I laugh when Jay-Z, yo, Jay-Z, man, Marcy Avenue Projects. Jay-Z did a rap out of his many vile raps that said, asked the question, why is it that Jews own all the land in the world? And I said to myself, well, let me see. I, I didn't graduate high school, Jay-Z. And I'm sure you probably didn't either. Uh, you're a billionaire. I'm not. But if memory serves me correctly, the group of people who own the most land in the world is the Church of England through the Queen, the royal family. Not a Jew amongst them. The second largest landowners in the world is the Roman Catholic Church through the Vatican. And the third is the House of Fraud, uh, the House of Arabia, with their fake uh, mustaches and beards and the schmatas on their heads. Not a Jew amongst them. So how is it that J.C. ends up uh, doing a song, Why do Jews own most of the land and real estate in the world? You think he thinks the Queen of England is Jewish or that Pope Francis, the Argentine, is Jewish? Or that the House of Fraud are Jews? They're Semites, no doubt about that. But no, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Jay-Z, stuff it. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Patrick's Day festivities start the whole month of March. It's consumed with them, including next uh, Saturday in Bayside, which happens to be March 26th, my birthday. I will be 68. I'm like a cat with nine lives, and I've used eight of them. But I'll be there in Bayside, Bell Boulevard, before I have to return on Saturday. Remember, I do the show with Anthony Weiner, left versus right, two to four. But I'll be there for the kickoff. But... The first parade every year is right there in Rockaway Beach, in the Rockaways. And I was out there with Rudy Giuliani, Michael Baticic, who I'll be substituting for tomorrow from 3 to 4. And his son, Andrew, was collecting petitions to quali- qual- try to qualify to be able to run in the Republican primary against Lee Zeldin, Rob Astorino, and Howie Wilson. He's doing quite well. But that was the first, Rockaway Beach, and now they're everywhere. Like this this weekend alone, just in the New York area, up there in Woodlawn, which is like uh, 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 Little Dublin. The last stop of the number four train near McLean Avenue, separating the Bronx from Westchester. Tremendous turnout. Then yesterday, the weather held up. Rockville Center, all oh, the Irish were out in force right near St. Agnes. Incredible amounts of people who poured out. And today, oh, I couldn't be there. A little too far away. 
Uh, they probably wouldn't have let me go. They would have dragged me into a saloon and kept me there. Right there in the heart of Rockland County, the Irish Riviera, right on the Hudson River, Pearl River. Small town, right? And yet they have the second largest St. Patrick's Day Parade in all of New York State. The only one that supersizes that, which was the one that I participated in this past Thursday, not officially. I'm never officially invited because, you know, I don't wear any green. It's all red. But I muscle my way in, and I did, and a lot of WABC folks out there, a lot of WABC folks, and it will continue for the rest of the month. But it all starts in Rockaway Beach. And that means that today, first day of spring, what are we all waiting for? The Memorial Day weekend, when the beaches open up, and you know the rest of the story. But that's going to mean for a lot of you who go out to the Hamptons or the South Shore of Long Island or the North Shore by the Long Island Sound or down on the Jersey Shore, you go to the Berkshire Mountains in Massachusetts or the Poconos in Pennsylvania, wherever you're heading to, you're going to be going in your vehicle most likely. And the price of gasoline is right up there, like at five bucks. You know, it's going to hover there, may even go more. And it's going to it's going to extract a real big price on America's pocketbook. Both men and women, working class, lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class, they always uh, the ones who get hit the hardest, the poor and the indigent, they get subsidies. Uh, and naturally the wealthy, uh, they're able to ride it out. So we're going to see where this all takes us. But I will tell you this. There's been a history, 1973, when the Arab countries cut off all oil supplies to the United States. Cut them off. And in 1979, when the Shah was sacked in Iran, the Ayatollahs came in, and our friend, a friend, Saddam Hussein, took our weapons of mass destruction and started killing Iranians at our behest. He was our friend then, only to become our enemy and Hitler years later. Weapons of mass destruction. No, <laughs> he had used them all up on the Iranians and killed the Beagles too, practiced on them. Remember, that's what got it. He killed the Beagles with gas. We got to go to war against Saddam Hussein. Be careful, be wary of any of our politicians. Any of them, Democrats or Republicans, they love to wag that dog, right? The dog gets wagged and the tail stays dormant. They're always looking to get into a war one way or another. To, to Trump's credit, he did not get us in a war. Did not. Barack Obama, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. He hadn't done anything yet. He wasn't even president. Nobel, give him a Nobel Peace Prize. First thing he did in office Declare war against Muammar Gaddafi. Yeah, I know. It was Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton who said, put the juice in his caboose. We sent our jets in. The French sent theirs in. The Brits sent theirs in. We declared war on Muammar Gaddafi because why? He was Hitler. By the way, the schmuck the putz gave up all of his nuclear weapons to Bush 40. Bush 40 said, come to the ranch in Crawford. We'll make nice. Don't worry. Yeah, I know you hate Jews. It's okay. You're our friend. Give us your nuclear weapons. And the schmuck in the pucks did that. You think he regrets having done that? Well, wherever he is down in hell without an asbestos suit. But this is what we have created. The Ukrainians gave up their nuclear weapons to Bill Clinton, and rightfully so, because we were afraid rogue nations 
would end up buying the nuclear payload and using it against their perceived enemies or even against us. I understand why that was done. We bought them up, and then we demilitarized them. But now think of it. You're the Ukraine. You had the third largest number of nuclear warheads in the world. Do you think that Vladimir Putin would have invaded the Ukraine if Zelensky had those nuclear weapons, or even half of them, or even a quarter of them? The answer is no. That's why you see the evil seed of Kim Jong mentally ill behind the kimchi curtain of North Korea firing off rockets every other week now in pursuit of a nuclear weapon. The Iranians, the Ayatollahs, in pursuit of a nuclear weapon because they've learned the lesson. If you got a nuke, you're okay. If you don't have a nuke, well, could be regime change. We'll fix you. Regime change. Where did Putin learn that term, regime change? Oh, that's right, Bush 43, regime change. How did that work out? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to Karen, who's calling from Rockland County, where they're still partying out in the streets in Pearl River in the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. Correct, Karen? Yes, I was there today. How was it? A lot of people, a lot of bagpipes. It was good. It was cold, though. I know, but they're still there. You realize they're still there partying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the saloons were still that, crowded. See, Karen, that's why I didn't go. I had to be here by 3 for Chris Hahn, but I knew the uh, one, the, mo- the moment I went there, the guys wearing the skirts, the kilts, you know, they would have grabbed me, dragged me into a saloon. They said, Curtis, you're not going anywhere. We're holding you hostage. <laughs> Oh, but it's great. I love I love Pearl River. I love Pearl River. It's a little town. There's an awful lot of people there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> now, you have a have suggestion a... Uh, for me, uh, Karen? No, I have some names for your program, you know, your new program. Yeah, I need it. I need it. We have a date. The uh, the suits, the markets, the muckety-mucks. Uh, Chris, <laughs> uh, Chad Lopez, who is our general manager, Curtis, by next Friday. we got to have a name locked in. we got to do all these schematics. Uh, this mm-hmm. way, uh, Frank Morano won't have a hissy fit any longer. Go ahead. Go ahead, Karen. <laughs> uh, the schoolmaster of Gab, mm. uh, stories and jokes. Mm. Uh, and then in the presence of the Red Bull, anything can happen. Wow. Boy, that's long. We may have to give that a brisk. You know what I mean, Karen? <laughs> that's, that's a little long. If I had to wear, were... Wait a second. If we put out shirts with that, with that, the name of that, we need, we need to have the part of the name on the front and part of the name on the back. <laughs> Well, you get more people jobs that way. I, but yeah, I like that fact of talking about how our program, and I say our, not like Eric Adams, who goes, my police, my mayors, my city. Yeah, our, our program, uh, we have belly laughs. We have a lot of fun, don't we? <laughs> yeah, well, they, another, one is, another one is passion, soul, New York City, and intellect. Uh, passion, soul, can. New York City, because you are the city uh, and uh, intellect. All right, but uh, some of my ex-wives would argue with you and said, that's why we got rid of him. He lost his passion. (laughs) So you gave it to Nancy. Yeah, yeah, she's the best. She's the keeper. (laughs) She's coming on with us at 12. You know, we're doing the animal welfare. I know. 
And boy, you know, I try to get on to talk about my calico cat. And yeah, uh, well, let me tell you, Karen. Uh, whereas Frank Morano uh, leads in the ratings uh, overnight, the other side of midnight. He is the ratings uh, master extraordinaire. Nancy's mm-hmm. hour is right behind that. Then I fall behind that. <laughs> wow, this is incredible. Yeah, here's another one: happenings into the midnight sun. Ooh. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Karen, that's a, that's a work in progress. Karen's first name, can you imagine? That's a mouthful. Multisyllabic. We'd have to put part of it on the front of a shirt, part of it on the back of a shirt. It's like some of these high schools now. It used to be easy. Grady High School. You put Grady right on. You're playing basketball, Grady. Now it's the Metro Tech School of Sciences and Higher Mathematics. How do you put that on a shirt when you're playing sports? I mean, don't they ever fathom that or think about that? No, no, because it sounds like you're sophisticated. Even though it's a blackboard jungle and the kids are shooting one another, they're stabbing one another, they're dealing drugs right in homeroom. Oh, no, but the name of the school, it sounds so sophisticated. You have any idea what goes on in those schools? Of course you don't. And you don't want to. That's the other problem. Anyway, let's go to John, all the way out in Governor's Island, which used to be the Coast Guard Preserve. Your turn to be heard at WABC, John. Glad to talk to you again, Curtis. I was listening to Cindy Adams today. I've been listening to you all the time. But Cindy Adams triggered deja vu for me. She talked about horn and hard hat in Manhattan. Yes. And I said, oh, my God. I remember those places, and it took me back to when I was on my first tour up there on the island. I used to go to McSorley's Old Ale House, and I used to go to McCann's up near Madison Square Garden. I don't remember the streets, 34th or something. And I'd see them hoarding hard hats, and I always thought, geez, I don't know if I want to get a sandwich out of a machine. I never made it in there, but I remember seeing them. And it uh, it took me down memory lane today. I just wanted to share that with you, buddy. No, no, John. Uh, Cindy Adams, uh, who comes on, I believe it is from 1 to 2, is a real corker. She is yeah. a real corker. Let me tell you something. She must be in her 90s. She is an institution in New York City. She takes no grief from anybody, John. Anybody. And she has a memory. That is like Memorex and the Horn and Hard Art uh, cafeterias that you spoke of. I grew up with them. And, John, you'd go in there, you'd have a pocket full of quarters and nickels and dimes, and you'd put them in, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the lemon meringue pie would come out. Or the tuna fish sandwich would come out. And it was very little staff. It was all done behind the walls. And apparently... There may be a return of those kinds of uh, cafeterias because they were so cost efficient. And think I'm of it, that. the benefit is uh, if you were to go in there and try to shoplift any of the food products, how do you get any of the products? <laughs> They're all behind glass and closed. Uh, well, you got to put coins in. Curtis, you know what made me want to go into hor- the horns, you know, in the days? Because you were, you know, I was 20 years old. I was afraid to go into some of the bar restaurants. Somebody took me into McCann's, you know, the bars. 
had the corned beef and stuff, and it was nice. Matter of fact, one day, I walked up to a guy, I talked to him, I said, God, you look familiar to me. He said, oh, I don't know you. And uh, somebody said, that's Bobby Hall. Bobby Hall, we the great, that's right, the great Chicago Blackhawk. Him and Stan Makita, right. they would go right across from the garden. And let me tell you something, Bobby Hall was like always half in the bag. Yeah, well, and uh, well, we, we talked for about 40 minutes like he was uh, a long-lost cousin. It was, it was great. And hearing that today, like I say, it really was a deja vu moment. I had to call and share with no, you. No, no, she has a she, yeah, she has a great show. She has a great column, Cindy Adams. She's a real corker. Her memory, I mean, magnificent. But what John, who lives on Governor's Island, is telling us is that there was a time you could walk around New York City like I did in the 60s and see a Bobby Hull and see a Stan Makita going walking in and out of a gin mill. No entourage, no security. And I would see Roger Bear, John Rattel, Hatfield, that was the Rangers' top line, Ed Jockerman, who was the goalie, Harry Howell, who was the captain, Silverhead, Harry Howell, and Jim Nielsen, who was a native Indian. You'd see him in the streets. You'd see him. You'd see Walt Clyde Frazier of the World Championship, New York Knicks, walking up and down the street. Joe Willie Namath by himself, no entourage, no security. And you know when that all came to an end? In early 1980s, when John Lennon was assassinated, executed outside of the Dakota on the corner of 72nd Central Park West. And and never returned after that. People said if a guy like John Lennon, remember, there were people back then, they said Jesus Christ and the Beatles. I wasn't one of them, but there were plenty of them. When he got executed in cold-blooded murder, never trust a guy, John David Chapman, right? That was his name, three names. Never trust a guy with three names. They always have three names. I think he came all the way from Hawaii to kill him. And it changed, and you didn't see sports stars walking around by themselves. Not after uh, John Lennon was executed in the streets of New York City. By the way, we're going to give you a crime update uh, uh, up in the next hour having to do with the craziness all over our country. There was a series of shootings, not just in New York City. We had eight of them all over the country. I mean, mad crazy, which is symptomatic of the fact that we, we don't have law enforcement that is able to be proactive any longer, not just here, but in so many places across the nation. And boy, did we see a breakout, a rash of violent crime yesterday that I know had to be shocking, even for those of you who are jaded and very skeptical. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Susan, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Susan. Hey, yes. Oh, say, Curtis, um, you are just... uh maybe about a month senior to me. So uh, first of all, the whole idea that you're, a, you know, an elderly person is completely, you got to like get your child to tone that back because that is just, uh, you know, not true. When you look at Cindy Adams and now with all the technology and new um, 
gene therapy, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we at least can all be looking at Yeah, but wait a second. Like Susan, you're absolutely right. Cindy Adams is an example of that sharp, quick, witty. Uh, she's got a bite, though, boy. You don't want to cross Cindy Adams, even at her age. But earlier today, let me just recap it for everybody. I finished uh, doing the show with Chris Hahn, Left versus Right, and it was Take Our Children to WABC Day. He had brought in his daughter, who had been playing uh, soccer down in southern New Jersey, down near Vineland. She had a number of matches. Uh, he's a soccer dad. Uh, so he came here, he brought his daughter. I brought my oldest son, Anthony, who's an intern here, just got his, uh, um, his uh, graduation ring. Uh, from his high school because he's going to be graduating in a few months. So he was styling and profiling that. And I say, hey, Anthony, uh, you hungry? Yeah, yeah. Let's go out. Let's get some uh, something to eat. It's 5 o'clock. We go to the diner down the block. Not that many diners uh, in New York City itself, uh, Manhattan. And he orders for me. He said, Dad, I'll order for you. The Blue Plate Special. <laughs> the Blue Plate Special. Chicken soup with a half a tuna sandwich and green moldy jello. I hate jello. You know, there's nothing wrong with my nails. Women used to eat lots of jello. My my older sister Alita did because they say, oh, it, it, it strengthens the nails. You know, you won't you get a break in your nail. I got to tell you, Susan, I said, what motivated you to want to order for me right from the blue plate special? He goes, well, you're going to be 68 on March 26th, Dad. You are a senior citizen, and you're really starting to look like one. Yeah, and then he, he kept flashing that ring. He goes, Dad, you never got a high school ring. They kicked you out of high school. Wow, sassy. What do you think Whoa. of that, Susan? And then to add insult to injury, was sitting there. God only knows what he ordered. I was looking at him. I was saying, boy, I'm hungry, but I, I got to stick with my blue, my blue plate special. I don't want to upset the kid. He goes, Dad, when am I getting my brand new Dodge Charger when I graduate from high school? Brand new. Not, you know. Used Dodge Charger, not pre-owned Dodge Charger. He wants a brand new Dodge Charger. I said, have you seen what a gallon of gas is? He goes, yeah, I want high test. It's $5.38. Reality will set in. But I do have a name for you, and I think this is really it for your title. Yes, Susan. Okay. Um. Be, I'm just going to preface this because I feel that your name, Curtis, um, is and that you have already earned the that you can be a one name celebrity. You already are in a, a very large circle, but this can be like go like a okay. national yeah, and yeah. international. So the name I just want to say it is Real Convos with Curtis hmm. dot 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 overnight. I like that. Real convos, because that, that's when I am a conversationalist. I don't have guests. Mm-hmm. I have conversations mm-hmm. with our listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, dot, dot, dot. I like that overnight. That's a, a, that, because, there, there is now, yeah. wait a second, let me look at the chart. We have a tote board uh, in the newsroom here. Ever since uh, Frank Morano had a hissy fit 
And because now he's the golden calf, he could do no wrong. He had back-to-back interviews with Roger Stone and Paul Manafort. You know, they're calling from 60 Minutes, seeing if he's available to do interviews. He is now uh, in line for a Marconi Award. In fact, YouTube was so upset at his interview with Roger Stone, they removed WABC from their channel temporarily. And I thought, wow, Frank's going to be in trouble. No, management, the owners rallied around. They're flying the Frank Marano. He's an untouchable now. So, Susan, he had a history. He fit, and that means it doesn't matter. I'm here like 32 years in talk radio. I got to change the name. It's no longer the other side of midnight, the weekend edition. No. So we have three, 342 suggestions that have been made. And, Susan, that means that I am going to have to – we're going to have to package them all together. Uh, we're going to have to run them through a focus group. Uh, naturally, Chad Lopez, our capo di tutti, our general manager, uh, and his staff will look at them. And then, naturally, the owner and operators of our parent company, uh, Red Apple Media, John and Margot Katsimatidis, will have the final say. But we have to have something in place by this coming Friday, 5 o'clock at the end of the normal workday for our staff, because all the people behind the scenes that you never really hear from, you don't even know exist, they put the schematics together, they put the packaging together so that it will sound not like amateur hour, but like the professional shows that you hear here, here on the number one news talk station, 24-7-365, heard now, now that it's dusk. Daylight savings time, which I'm opposed to. But now that it's dusk, we are heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, parts of Europe, and even in the Bermuda Triangle between Bermuda and Bahamas, where some sailors, just before they went down to Davy Jones's locker, were heard recounting what they had just heard on the Frank Morano show. Yep, yep. And you can get us on the app. You get us on the stream. Oh, there's so many different ways uh, that you can get us. And you can always get us on the rebound on the podcast, not only of the shows we do, but the specialty shows like we're going to have this discussion next week. Episode number 12, father and son, Anthony and Curtis, the podcast that I do with my oldest son, Anthony Chester Sliwa. And we're going to ask him for everyone to see, why did you order your father the blue plate special? You're a little Weisenheimer, aren't you, Anthony? New York's talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. of Elton John's song. And uh, my wife, Nancy, doesn't like when I play this song because she goes, you know what this song suggests? Cheating. Cheating. I'm not listening to the words. I like the beat, the rhyme, what comes out of the woofers, the tweeters, 
The fact that you can get on the dance floor and twist, whirl, and churn like a like a whirling dervish. I mean, there's so many dance steps you can do to this music. Who's listening to the words? My wife goes, you know what that means? That's a song about cheating. We'll be hearing from Nancy in the 12 o'clock hour. It is the most requested, the most listened to, and the most uh, phone calls of the 20 hours that I do on the weekends when WABC stands for the acronym Always Broadcasting Curtis, the Animal Welfare Hour, starring my wife Nancy, who is the animal rescuer par excellence. And in fact, she'll be responding to something that Greg Kelly had said earlier in the week about a dog getting dialysis. And one of our callers just in the wee hours of the morning, hours ago, who wondered, why is there such a dearth, such a lack of wet, of soft cat food in the supermarkets and grocery stores? Is it because prices are so high that some people on fixed incomes are actually eating the cat food? Because that has happened before, the soft cat food. Yes, yes. But I play this song also because out of all the crimes that have occurred, and there's a panoply of crimes, not just here, but all across the country, really violent crimes off the hook, this song will fit like a soup and a sandwich, a horse and a carriage, with the number one crime story. And I know that because before coming in here to WABC, you had all, all, all the reporters all right on the corner here. I'm going to get to that momentarily. They've been here. Trucks from all over the world. This is a story because there is video that has fascinated the world because it is a global crime story. We'll get to that momentarily. But let me give you the updates around the country. And this is really, really bad news as crime is escalating. And it's not just in the blue urban areas that are run by Democratic mayors. It's mostly there. But look at this. Austin, right? If you've ever been to Austin, yeah, I know it's a liberal, it's a progressive city like Houston, like Dallas, like San Antonio. But the rest of Texas, the suburbs and the rurals are not liberal and progressive. But a gunman opened fire. At a festival, huge festival there, right on East 6th Street. If you've ever been on East 6th Street in Austin, it's great. They got bands out there, music, entertainment. They're the gin mills and restaurants. 6th Street, I know we've patrolled it as Guardian Angels. It's a great place to be. A lot of folks from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania are moving down there. In fact, look at all, look at everyone from uh, California who's moved to Austin, including Elon Musk and others who have decided, hey, it's a hell of a lot better living down there, their quality of life, and most importantly, taxes. So a gunman opened fire and shot four people at this festival right there on 6th Street. And naturally, in Texas, like everybody's got a gun. You ever been to Texas? Bad people have guns, good people have guns, carry permits, uh, the shotgun uh, racks and the pickup trucks always seem to have a Winchester, uh, you know, double-barreled shotgun uh, ready to go. It's it's a gun mentality state. But even that shocked people at that festival. Then at least one is dead, 20 are hurt in a mass shooting at an Arkansas car show. A car show. 
You take your kids and your grandchildren to car shows, especially with the start of spring, today being the start of spring, spring equinox. There's the beginning of a whole season where there are a lot of car shows. And it's almost like a rite of passage. You know, Jacob Javits, when they restart the car shows, uh, think of how many of you throughout the tri-state area and beyond come, your whole family, you spend a whole day in New York City on the west side at Jacob Javits Convention Center as you go from level to level to see the car shows. One dead, 20 hurt, and a mass shooting at an Arkansas car show. Let me take you down to Miami Beach. Many of you old-timers, baby boomers, you remember Miami Beach. There was Jackie Gleason, the June Taylor dancers, Art Carney at the end of their variety show, the most watched in the nation on Saturday nights on Channel 2. Remember, he said, come on down to Miami Beach. And so many of our relatives did. My my uncle Jimmy Scavone, my Aunt Lucy, so many of my relatives did exactly that, lived in Hollandale, where the track was, North Miami Beach and Hollywood. No, not Hollywood, California. Hollywood there in Florida, which has now been colonized by the Canadians. If you ever go down there, they have the Maple Leaf flags, and they've taken over the shuffleboard courts. Uh, They pushed all the Americans off. They basically culturally appropriated the shuffleboard courts. The Canadians rule in shuffleboard. So they had a stampede in Miami Beach, all the spring breakers, because, you know, this is spring break. They flooded the street after there was a shooting that injured two. And then this might be the most egregious at all. A Virginia pilot reporter was one of two people killed in a shooting outside of a Virginia bar early Saturday morning. This is in Norfolk, right on the shore. Many of you, you've been down there in Norfolk, particularly if you served in the Navy. Norfolk, Virginia Beach, Tidewater Peninsula, I've had guardian angels down there, but it's a really nice place. A lot of New Yorkers have fled down there, those from Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania. But imagine these two just shot dead. A gunfight had taken place. A total of five people were shot, including Devon Harris of Portsmouth, who also died from his wounds, who was a reporter for the Virginia pilot. It's almost like what you expect in Ukraine, right? where reporters are not only being shot but killed in the line of duty to report to all of us. And then let's talk about the crime wave that is engulfed in New York City. I know that many people have said, well, Eric Adams, he's the Mashiach. He's going to save us from this uh, horrible crime wave that has engulfed our city ever since the lockdown and the pandemic of March 2020, in which the then mayor, Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, ordered the uh, police to step back, not to intervene. There was the summer of rioting. You remember 2020? I was out there, I mean, brawling with Antifa, Black Lives Matter. I had my jaw broken. You remember the scenes. You remember the video. And it hasn't gotten any better. Crime is up 100% in the subways. We'll touch on that towards the end of this hour. 68% in the streets. In fact, uh, just in one night alone uh, last night, Eight people, eight people were shot in New York City. So uh, Eric Adams, uh, he has his uh, uh, anti-crime unit out, although it's not what he originally said it would be, plain clothes, undercover, like the original unit. They now have a separate uniform. Uh, Let's hope for the best uh, that they get some results. Something is needed because crime is escalating, violent crime, rapidly. And Eric Adams has decided he's going to take his... uh, 
uh, anti-crime initiatives on the road to uh, urban areas all across America, as he said, in Chicago. What the hell is he doing in Chicago? What is he going to learn in Chicago? <laughs> in the crime capital of America with Mayor Featherhead. <laughs> she is the worst. But the uh, the mayor, while he was there, said, uh, my mayors, they, no, no, they're not your mayors. <laughs> I don't know what this guy is obsessed with, this I and my stuff. But anyway, it's like, hey, Eric, no, 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 please, put your ferragamos, your boots on the ground here. you got a lot of work to do. The crime is off the hook. i give you one example. Uh, there was like 24 shots fired in a place that has never had this before, 38th Avenue in Bayside. And I'll be in Bayside next Saturday for the annual uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade. It's on my birthday on the 26th, and I got to rush back here and do the show uh, with Anthony Weiner from 2 to 4 on sa- uh, on Saturday. Uh, we'll be on Bell Boulevard, and I know there'll be huge crowds there, as they are each and every year, now that these parades have been resumed since uh, we're no longer in the lockdown uh, stage of the pandemic. But it was like 28 shots fired on 38th Avenue in Bayside. They've never had shots fired there before. The only shots that they were used to there is whether they got the Johnson & Johnson one shot or the Maduro or the uh, Pfizer two shots. The 111th Precinct, which is right there on Bell Boulevard, has not reported any shootings this year. And 28 shots. Guy shot in the back of the car. And actually, uh, who did it? Snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. So that means the crime is beginning to seep its way in Bayside. Now, with all these crimes going on. And then there's the 85-year-old who was pushed down and they're looking for her assailant in uh, Chelsea. Uh, She was uh, a coach for method acting uh, and a coach for singers. Horrible crime. And the 92-year-old woman was smacked in the back of the head as she was dining at a uh, restaurant establishment on 70th and Columbus in the heart of the Upper West Side. Uh, They grabbed the Gavon from Staten Island who did that. All of these crimes. And guess what? You want to know what the one crime that the whole world is following? The whole world. Sky TV was out there. The BBC was out there. The CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, three French TV stations, three, plus all of our local stations, right on the corner of where we broadcast from here at WABC. Let me set this up, and I want you uh, PIs out there to try to figure this out because this is an interesting crime. So, yeah, this French guy... You're like a millionaire. You're one of these crypto monsters, you know, where you're, you're shilling out Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Again, beware. So many white-collar criminals getting involved with this. But this French guy apparently was very successful in bamboozling people to buy Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, traveling the world. You go on his Instagram. He's in Hong Kong. He's in Singapore. You know, he's ripping off people all over the place. He's got a watch on his wrist, $10,000 watch, right? Which, as you know, here, like homing pigeons, thugs and thuggets, like, eh, eh. And they're following him on Instagram because this schmuck, this putz, wherever he's going in New York City, he's posting on Instagram. And so like a divining rod, like a GPS, the homies up there in the Bronx are saying, we got a, we got a live one there. Why? Because he had been at a strip club. 
He was in a strip club down in the 30s. Oh, yeah, he was spending a lot of money. How many of you have been to Sapphire's 39th Strip Club on West 39th Street? He was spending mad money. He had his French wife there. And then he had another woman there. Now, the three of them left together. After he was getting brumskis and lap dances by the gals there who were doing uh, separate pole dances for him, his wife, and this other unnamed lady. So it's like in the wee hours of the morning. And all of a sudden they go to the hotel where they're staying, which is right around the corner from where we are at WABC. It's the 50 Hotel and Suites. Very nice hotel on East 50th Street. And uh, an argument of some type takes place. At least initially, that's how it was described. Some of our staff were actually the first to respond because it's right. It occurred right before Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg's morning show, uh, and so some of our staff went out there, took pictures. We were the first to actually have the article posted on wabcradio.com. So it wasn't like we were the second or third. We were the first, and then everybody followed. So they didn't quite understand what had happened. So naturally, five older cops, they go to the videotape. Because nowadays, whenever you commit crime, there are private cameras, there are public cameras, there are people with cell phones. In fact, when you're watching uh, crime reports uh, at night on the news, you're disappointed if you don't see video. There's an expectation you're going to see video. So you see the guy, he's right outside of the 50 Hotel and Suites. And he's got this $10,000 watch that's like glistening in the light. The street lights. And all of a sudden, this guy comes up out of nowhere, knocks him down. He's on the ground. He's like whipping the guy because he wants to drag the watch off of his wrist. That's a $10,000 watch. And who do you think jumps on the guy to prevent him from taking the watch off? The guy's wife. The French woman, she's ju- you're watching in the video. She's wrestling with the guy. He's fighting her. He's fighting the French guy. Meantime, where was the uh, third woman? You think she was a honeypot? Ladies and gentlemen, those of you at Street Smarts, do you think she met them at Sapphire's, the strip club, and then promised some extracurricular activity, became a friend with multiple favors that would be bestowed on both the wife and the husband simultaneously, but in fact... Set them up. Now, do you think that's what it was? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But it gets better. So the wife, is he's on, she's on the back of the, of the thug. She's wrestling with him. She's more concerned about the $10,000 watch at this point than her husband. And she's wrestling. So he decides... I got it. I'll make one last grab for the watch. He can't get it. He runs down the block. He gets behind a um, one of those uh, obstructions, you know, where they're doing uh, construction at the Waldorf Astoria. They're turning what was the Red Chinese Hotel they had purchased at into private condominiums. And he crawls behind a crawl space, and he has a second set of clothes there. And he puts on the second set of clothes, and this is all on video. 
and then he runs over to a garbage can and he drops something in there in a paper bag and then he runs down into the number six train and I know where he was going. It was an uptown six train. He was going up to the Bronx. This is what they do in the Bronx all the time. They're scheming and they use honey pots. Another guy comes to the garbage can, reaches in, takes it, and goes south. And this is the crime of the century right now. Every reporter. The Post, the Daily News, even the New York Times. Oh, yes, the French, Magnif- Macron has weighed in on this. Apparently, this guy is a big supporter of Macron, who is running for re-election in April. It's a big race there. Uh, it's going to be a heated election, and he is concerned about one of his donors, the guy with the $10,000 watch. This crypto monster, beware of those who come and want to sell you Bitcoin and crypto. It's like, mm. so the guy is in the hospital at Bellevue. So five zero naturally, the precinct is one block away. They go to interview the guy. He goes, I know nothing. I say nothing. I don't speak English, right? But you speak enough English right there to be under, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Go, go to the embassy. My guess And I could be completely wrong, but you know my street smarts on this. Is that he's at Sapphire's, the strip club, with his wife. This is legitimately his wife from France. They're both French. Very wealthy. Crypto monsters. Selling Bitcoin. Selling crypto. They're out there in that refuge in Puerto Rico. They're all over the place bamboozling people. And they go on and having a little bit of fun. And I believe they hooked up with another woman. We call that the honeypot, who is particularly there. And she is naturally texting all of this information. Hmm. I got a guy here with a $10,000 watch, takes a quick photo. Boom. They go right away. They reach. Wow, that's a $10,000 watch. So I believe the homeboys in the Bronx immediately jump on that number six train and come running down and following her movement because she's like the human GPS to right outside the 50 hotel and suites. Do you know when all was said and done in this struggle, the French guy, there were six shots fired. Six shots fired. One of them hit him. Guess where it hit him? Figure it out. Below the navel in the three-piece set. Now, what kind of a message is that? When out of all the places he could have shot this French guy before trying to relieve him of his $10,000 watch, he decided to shoot him in the groin. This says to me that he might know this honeypot. It's personal. I think. But all of a sudden, the NYPD has dummied up. They're not saying anything. I mean, there are reporters right now all over the place. <laughs> Floodlights. You would think... This is the crime of the century. Macron is sending over. What's that? The... <laughs> Inspector Clouseau? It's like, this is like one of Macron's biggest benefactors. This is actually outpacing the news in France involving the invasion of the Ukraine and Macron trying to be the moderator. Cops everywhere. They're on the rooftops. This is just one block away from us. Oh, boy. Now, we'll see when all is said and done. Is my street smarts correct? 
Or am uh, I just selling everybody wolf tickets? Because when I was down there, you know, naturally the reporters, Curtis, what do you think? What do you think, Curtis? What do you think? I say, it's not what I think. It's what you know. We don't really know that much. I say, okay, we all looked at the video. Yeah. Do you think it's kind of odd that he's at a strip joint, sapphires with his wife, and they leave with another woman? In French, they call that a menage a trois, huh? Do I need to speak French to you? A threesome, you know? Friends with favors. Well, why are you jumping to conclusions? You asked me, right? You're the reporters. You're the gumshoe reporters. You're asking me. I'm telling you my gut reaction without knowing all the facts. Plus, I'll bet you that this posse, this crew that honed in on this Frenchman with the $10,000 watch, his wife, uh, and this uh, <clears throat> third member, Menage a Trois. We're not talking uh, Nicki Minaj here. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Hey, it's a Menage a Trois. I think. You know, we should... Now that everything can be gambled on, right? You have an app for gambling in New York City. Wouldn't this be a great, you know, this is Curtis's rationale based on his uh, street smarts. And then you get, you know, somebody from the police department, maybe John Miller. You know, it's like the spokesperson now. He's all buttoned up. You know, he gives his interpretation. And maybe somebody else. You get some guy who's just done 20 years, you know, upstate who just got released. Uh, who gives? And then you pick. Column one, two, or three. What's the over-under point spread? I think I'm right. What do you think, ladies and gentlemen? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Ina, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ina. Okay, thank you, Curtis. Good uh, good night. How are you? Um, I just called to commend you on your, your, your work and what you have done and your your talk show it's very it's very good you're doing beautiful and i know you i know you from canarsie i think your mother was living in front of the bendetta yes uh, but you see Tony. all all roads lead to canarsie for me how is it yes. you know my mother francesca yeah francesca because then she kind of have a, a, a little encounter because i i was working as a nurse with the Bendetto. Yes, when, yes. And, when, and uh, are you from... When, Miss, when Mrs. Bendetto got, got a stroke. Yes. Now, and, what, what, um, what island are you from, Ina? Jamaica. Good, good. Uh, and many of those who took care of my mother in her last hours, the home care uh, attendants were from Haiti and Jamaica. Uh, they were really dedicated, as I'm sure you were, to Mrs. Benedetto. Yes. Because because I saw your mother on TV when you when they have the West Indian um, parade in front of our house was dancing for, with the from the Jamaican music, but the but when your mother you had a beautiful mother and she was always and you took care of your mother so much because you was only I think eighteen years old when I was working with them yes. and um I parked my car I had a brand new I bought a brand new um, Nova. So my Mr. Bennett's side was 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 the, the day when they were clean, sweeping the streets. So I parked it in front of your your mother house, <laughs> and she come out. I was in my uniform. She come out and said, "Whose car is this?" That I'm I'm going into Mr. Bennett's house, and he, and she said, "No, come on, move it." 
Margaret. And then she get into a little confrontation. So she said she gonna she gonna do what to call. I said you if you do that, it's gonna be a problem. Anyway, I move it, and then when you and she calling Curtis, Curtis, and when Curtis come, you squash it and come over to me and. Me and your mother hug on and, and she make it up. Yes, I, in fact, I Nina, that. I remember that. In fact, that was, uh, I told her it's alternate side of the street parking, Mom. You know, the sweepers who come through. So my mother, Francesca, said, but the sweepers never come through. They make everybody move their cars and the sweepers never come through. Ah, oh, those are the memories. And coming up, there was a huge story, huge story in the sun. It talks about a woman that we rescued on the number four train the other night. You have to go to uh, guardianangels.org. It's the plight of Mary Reeves, who is from Atlanta. And she said something on that number four train that reminded me so much of my mother. And it just tells you of the plight of our senior citizens nowadays that we put out of sight, out of mind. Oh, yeah, that's a horrible situation, but one that can be remedied, one that can be remedied. Anyway, let's go to Bob, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bob. Because I got two things I want to comment on, and then I got some catchy um, slogans for you. If they gave the Iron Dome to the Ukrainians, don't you think that Russia's monitoring all communications and stuff one way or the other? And if they get in there and are able to grab the Iron Dome, then they'll have it for themselves. Exactly. And I'm sure that's what Israel is uh, concerned about because they have the state-of-the-art technology developed with the help of the United States. And that's something that that Iron Dome, you do not want to be in the hands of Vladimir Putin. Do not want to be in the hands of Vladimir Putin. For sure. And the second thing before the slogan are you aware of that Hillary Clinton was really Jewish? No, 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 no. Hold on a second, Bob. You're not going to believe that. When she was running for the presidency, she claimed, oh, yes, I have Jewish blood in me, just like John Kerry did when he was running for the Everybody discovers their Jewish roots when they're running for political office, especially if they're trying to get Jewish votes and, more importantly, Jewish contributions. Because one thing about Jewish contributions that all the politicians will tell you, you don't have to run to the bank because the check ain't going to bounce. You figure out the rest of that. Those fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi politicians. Oh, yeah. You know, my great, 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 great grandmother's Jewish. And then John Kerry. Wait, I'll go one better. Uh, You know, my uncle from over there in the land of era, era, his real name was Fagan. He was the Lord Royal Mayor up in uh, County uh, Galloway. Get out of here. Anyway, let's quickly go, uh, if we can, to uh, Katie, who's calling from Little Italy, one of my favorite locations. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Katie. Hi, Curtis. Um, You actually spoke to my fiancé, Peter, last night, but I don't want to rehash that. We had a suggestion for your show, Hmm. Another Side of Midnight. But it's just it's different enough that it's different, but it's close enough just to piss off Frank Morano. And I think just proposing that as an idea would be funny enough. I like that. Another side of midnight. It's short. It's truncated. He can't object to that 
because it is a different name, uh, then he'll probably appeal it to the owners and operators, John and Margot Katzmatidis, because, you know, he has a hissy fit over this. Uh, but he won't win this one. I guarantee you it is not the same name as the other side of midnight. So you're suggesting Katie from little Italy, another side of midnight. Yep. Yep. I think it's catchy. It's close enough. It's different enough. Another side of midnight with Curtis Leva. Cause your show is completely different. It's better. It's completely different. It's another side of midnight. Well, it is different. I tell you what, uh, Frank uh, is a master of doing interviews, as we saw last week, in uh, having a one-on-one with Roger Stone that went viral, uh, made headlines across the world, and then quickly followed up with Paul Manafort, uh, the interview. Uh, He's probably uh, going to get a nomination for the very prestigious Marconi Award and 60 Minutes, which sometimes has different people come in and do interviews, uh, like they do. You see, uh, the guy who's synonymous with CNN will sometimes be on loan to uh, 60 Minutes. As Yeah, and Frank is so good, I wouldn't doubt that they give him a cameo opportunity to do an interview. Uh, he's been that good, and that's why his ratings are exploding. The top ratings ever. And overnight radio here at WABC, more so than Alan B. Combs ever achieved. God bless his soul. We miss him dearly. And even that Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown, Art Bell. And then there's Nancy, who's rated number two, that 12 o'clock hour coming up, because it's all about animal welfare. And then I'm rated number three. So maybe a name change. It's like um, it's like we talk about the Iron Dome would have rustoleum, right? And you'd have to get uh, you'd have to get all that rust off. I get the rust off. I've been doing this thirty two years. I'm up for the challenge. New name, new challenge on the weekends. The uh, close to twenty hours that I do in all of its different forms. I'm up for it. Up next, it's a story that will break your heart. It's synonymous to the problems that we have with the homeless, the destitute, the impoverished, the indigent, and the emotionally disturbed. And I am in pursuit of trying to find a woman that I left in the care of the city authorities. And she's not in their care any longer. You're not going to want to miss this story. You can go to guardianangels.org, guardianangels.org. Look at the Facebook posts. Uh, It's a story that was done by The Sun. Uh, I've been getting a lot of response from all over the world for the plight of Mary Reeves from Atlanta, 74 years old. It'll make you it'll make you cry. It'll make you cry. And maybe, just maybe, this will help turn it around for all these lost souls who live in our subways, our streets, and our public parks on a daily and nightly basis. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. She's homeless, as she stands there singing. 
Great song, great song that sets up exactly the trauma that I experienced along with the Guardian Angels and we have seen on a regular basis in the subway systems of New York City for quite some time. It is a haven for the destitute, those who are destituted, those who are indigent, those who have mental health issues, emotionally disturbed, or are homeless, have lost. These are lost souls. And it's a situation that's bad enough when you're able-bodied as a male or female, when you're a hipster or millennial, or you're in your 40s or 50s. When it starts going beyond that, you're at real risk. And the story I'm going to tell you today was profiled in the national newspaper, The Sun. You can actually see it by going to guardianangels.org. Look at the Facebook page. We have it posted there for all of you to see it. It's a very long story, lots of pictures. And it's about what I do uh, on many nights in going on patrol with the Guardian Angels in the subways because the subways have had a 100% increase in crime. And it's not getting better. It's not getting better. And I've been doing this long enough for 43 years as a guardian angel and been riding the trains by myself since I was five years old in 1959, starting at Rockaway Parkway and what used to be called the LL train, LL standing for lousy line, uh, that I think uh, I'm an expert at this. And I know the lines where most of the problems take place. I know where the homeless and the emotionally disturbed go because they're in search of a bathroom. There are few, if any public facilities that are open. We don't realize that they have to have a lavatory. Uh, Officials, they they don't even consider that. They're going to go where they can get water because dehydration, which they go through, oftentimes triggers off a psychotic response if they haven't had their medicines, of which many of them have uh, no longer a supply of those medicines. And lastly, they're in need of food like every other human being. They can't just get off the train and go to a bodega or grocery store. They go rummaging through garbage cans, rummaging through this. In America, the wealthiest country in the world where we throw out so much food on a regular basis, it's a sin. And then I see them because it's certain stations where there are food stands Uh, oftentimes um, a commuter will not finish the food garbage can, and these homeless and emotionally disturbed persons will immediately dive into the can, pull the food out. You've seen them. Many of you have seen it. You don't like it. You think, well, that's third world country. No, no, it's our country. And they'll eat the remaining food. They'll take a cup of whatever liquid was in that cup. It's half full, and they'll drink it, not even knowing what it is because they're dehydrated. It's sad. And then there was a uh, episode of Golden Girls, and I know so many people are fans of the Golden Girls, even hipsters and millennials now, like my own, uh, my own wife Nancy. She loves the Golden Girls, and all four of those women, the roles that they play. But they were all senior citizens, and she said, after reading about what we had done, and I'll go into the full details. She goes, Curtis, I want to play you a scene of what Betty White was talking about with her three friends, the Golden Girls, in the house that they share down in Florida. 
because all of a sudden it dawned upon her that there, by the grace of God, could go Betty White. So when you see these people, my father, Chester, had always taught me when he took me as a young boy to the Bowery, which is where the flop houses were years ago, the missions were. That's where people who had emotionally uh, disturbed issues or alcohol issues or drug issues would be. My father would always say as a merchant seaman, Curtis, never laugh at them. Always help them there by the grace of God go you. And I've always lived by that because he was my role model. I saw him go down there and help these people, some of whom had been former seamen that he had known and had worked on ships with. It always struck me. I want you to listen to Betty White in character describe what she used to think and what she suddenly thought when all of a sudden she recognized that she could have been like one of those people, those lost souls. You know, every morning when I leave the house, I see this bag lady going through the garbage over on 135th Street. She has everything she owns piled in one of those old shopping carts. Well, the other day, for the first time, I noticed she's about our age. Oh, you know, you always feel sorry for someone like that. But I wondered... What did she do to get herself into a fix like that? I thought, well, she must be lazy. Or she must be pretty stupid to let something like this happen to her. But the truth is, she's me. God, what am I going to do? You heard Betty White say, the truth is she's me because Betty White was facing a situation where her husband's pension had dissolved. She had no means to support herself as a senior citizen. And that takes us to the story of Mary Reeves. Again, you want to read the full story. It's a very long story. Probably one of the best ever written about the, the work of the Guardian Angels over our 43 years in helping the homeless and the emotionally disturbed. You go to guardianangels.org. You go to the Facebook page. You'll see the story posted there. You'll see the video also. So we're riding the number four train where I started the Guardian Angels back in 1979. We're riding it up and down from 125th Street in East Harlem all the way up to Fordham Road where I started. These are real tough stations in real tough neighborhoods. And as we walked from car to car, every car had a problem. If it wasn't an emotionally disturbed person, it was a homeless person, it was young thugs or thuggets who were violating others. It was like clockwork orange. It was nonstop. And there are no cops on the moving trains, none whatsoever. And you you have to have cops on the moving trains going up and down. That's what we do as guardian angels. Uh, As we go up and down on some of the platforms, we would see the uniformed transit police, but they're not on the moving cars. And that's where all the action is. So we're going up and down, up and down. And then I walk into a car. And in one corner, I see an elderly African-American gentleman. Had to be in his 60s. I recognized him from seeing him at least four or five times before. And he had soiled himself. His attire was all shabby. 
uh, he was so depressed. He had a conversation with me. Nobody would go around him because the stench was suffocating. And people turned away from him and they were angry at him because he was in that subway car and it was he, he was making their ride miserable. And I walked over and I talked to some of the passengers and I said, look, how about just moving to the next car? This, this man has no dignity left in life. I, I saw him, he was crying, crying. And there was nobody there to care for him. And he had the problem, the mental problem of taking everything out of his pockets and putting it down on the seat, going through it, and then putting it back in his pockets, and then over and over and over again. No help. I've seen him over the years. He lives in the subways. It is a ride of despair. On the other side of that same car, laying sideways on the seats, was an elderly woman. Now... That's the other thing that's shocking, the number of elderly people who are homeless or emotionally disturbed who are on our subways, in our parks, in our streets. I mean, we are I'm talking in their 60s and 70s, and nobody bothers to even have a conversation with them. So I approach this woman, and she's like sleeping, and you can see she's in pain, and I wake her up because I always wake them up. I want to make sure they're okay. And I I detect a southern accent, a melodious southern accent. And she has bandages on her her hand. And I ask, are you okay, ma'am? And she says, not really. I just was discharged from the hospital. It was Jacoby Hospital. She had just recovered from COVID. And she could barely sit up. And she started to tell me the story that she was from Atlanta, she had gone to Emory College, she became a teacher there, then a professor, and eventually earned her law degree. Oh, this woman was intelligent, well-spoken. There was an air about her. She had not lost her confidence. She had not been crushed by her homelessness. And as uh, she was talking, I said, well, how did you end up here on this number four train going from New Lots Avenue in East New York? Very dangerous area, very dangerous up to Woodlawn, the last stop on the number four train before you hit Little Dublin. And she goes, uh, I got married and I came to New York and I trusted this man. I trusted him. And after two years, he took everything. And he broke my heart. I had trusted him. I left everything I had in Atlanta, family. I left my job. I was teaching at Emory College, teaching law. You could see the woman was well-versed, but totally crushed by this emotional abandonment of whomever her husband was. And then as I was trying to figure out what can we do, I go to the conductor. I ask him to stop the train. He ignores me. I go to the motorman. He ignores Not my job. Not my job. And they would just rather ride her back and forth in this ride of despair. So I sit down next to her, and she's looking me in the eyes, and I said, I promise we'll do something. We're not leaving you on this train. We're not leaving you on this train. And she starts crying out, and she says, Curtis, I'm ready to go. I want to join my mother and father in heaven, my oldest sister in heaven. And it, it, it was haunting. 
It's exactly what my mother, Francesca, said before she died, days before she died. She wanted to join her father, Fidel, and Nicoletta Bianchino, and her older sister, Mary. And I, I held that woman's hand, and I said, no, no, you got too much of life to live. You're not going. And we stopped at 125th Street, and there were two police officers there. They were kind, and they were going through a, a list of uh, all the possible remedies that they had. And they said, oh, we can get the BRC here. These are people who are supposed to take care of the homeless. Oh, they're not available till tomorrow. I said, officers, I appreciate your help. We're taking her to a shelter. And we took her down to a shelter on 33rd Street off of Park Avenue behind Norman Thomas High School, place I've been many times. It's not the best place, but it's not a bad place. I know the people there, and I go in there. She Remember, she has no ID. All her ID has been taken. She's been robbed on the trains. All her money's been taken. Normally, they won't accept you if you don't have ID. Imagine that. You're homeless. Of course, one of the reasons you might be homeless is you don't have any ID. You don't have any money. But I'm there. And then, obviously, there's a reporter, there's a photographer from the sun there. And so they process her in. And I get her set up in there with her belongings. And I said, I'll be back tomorrow. This way, I'm going to try to get her placed in some some of a more permanent location. And I call up the Atlanta Guardian Angels. I take the picture. I send it down to them. So we have to find if she has any friends or relatives down there. She's given us a lot of information. I return the next morning, and they tell me this. Oh, Mary Reeves, she got up in the middle uh, at about 4 o'clock in the morning, and she walked out through the emergency door with her little carry case. I said, this woman could barely walk. What are you talking about? She knew where the emergency door was? The fact is they didn't want to deal with her because according to their rules and regulations, she was a person of no consequence. She had no ID. Uh, They couldn't fill out the paperwork. And all they did was patronize me and placate me. And I tell you, I was so angry. I had to withhold myself. I wanted to kill the people who had told me that they would keep her here that night. We have since been looking for her all over the city. If any of you have seen, it's an elderly Caucasian woman. She has a strong southern accent. Her name is Mary Reeves. She has no ID on her whatsoever. She uh, was very weak, having just recovered from uh, COVID-19 at Jacoby Hospital. Almost no belongings on her whatsoever. I have guardian angels all over the city scouring, trying to find her. And then once we find her, we will transport her back to Atlanta. We're not keeping her in this city any longer. This is a city that cares almost nothing about people who are relegated to sleeping in the subways, sleeping in the streets, sleeping in the parks. They just move them now from place to place. So if you happen... uh, to spot her or hear of anybody who has seen her. I want you to look at this woman, and I want you to think of these people when you see them stretched uh, on the subway uh, seats, and the city is now writing tickets to them. They're writing tickets. Well, imagine writing it. Write what is a ticket going to do? Come on. 
They need help. And look at them and say, there, by the grace of God, could be my mother, my father, my brother, my sister. And don't turn your eyes and don't let these politicians just tell you what they're going to do, possibly, maybe, could be from former mayor Bill de Blasio and his wife Charlene, who took one and a quarter billion dollars of our hard-earned money that was supposed to care for these people in need. And we've seen none of the results. To our new mayor, who says the right things, but to be honest, I see all of my old friends out there, many of the people I've befriended over the years, still in pain, still suffering, still in limbo, still on that ride, that despairing ride. They have to be physically removed from the trains. They have to be taken to mental health care hospitals. They have to be taken for medical treatment to medical hospitals. They have to be taken to the appropriate shelters. They're senior citizens. You can't put them in a shelter with teenagers and middle-aged men and women. They will not survive that process. Where is our humanity? What has become of us? We're proud to be Americans. I'm as proud as any of you. We're a first-world nation. We pride ourselves in the fact that we take care of our own, and yet I see it again and again, not just in this city, but other cities where I have guardian angels. It's like we treat our fellow human beings as if they're refuse. So in the name of Mary Reeves, please, in honor of my mother, Francesca, who Ina had mentioned earlier in this hour, the Jamaican home care worker, Uh, who was caring for one of our neighbors there in Canarsie. we got to find her. We've got to help her, and we have to help all those who are struggling out there. I know for many of you it is upsetting. It is unsightly. The smell, it invades. It invades every one of your senses, and you get angry. And you hear stories that they defecate and they urinate and they clutterers and they carry what few belongings they have with them from place to place. And you say, why? Why? Just like I want I want to play that again. Betty White, please. Betty White from the Golden Girls. Listen to what she had to say about a homeless person that she saw, what she originally thought and what she eventually knew. You know, every morning when I leave the house, I see this bag lady going through the garbage over on 135th Street. She has everything she owns piled in one of those old shopping carts. Well, the other day, for the first time, I noticed she's about our age. Oh, you know, you always feel sorry for someone like that. But I wondered, what did she do to get herself into a fix like that? I thought, well, she must be lazy. She must be pretty stupid to let something like this happen to her. But the truth is, she's me. God, what am I going to do? Yeah, what are we going to do? And then some of us listening right now, some of you listening to me, are going to be in that situation where your pension isn't there. 
or you have a falling out with your family or those that you love, or all of a sudden some mental health issue begins to impact on you, or you develop, yeah, nobody wants to talk about it, dementia and Alzheimer's. And then all of a sudden, you have no control of your mental faculties. And now others think that you're a burden. And why should they have to spend their precious time caring for you who cared for all of them? And I see them. I see them out there. They have dementia. They have Alzheimer's. They have psychotic disorders. They talk to inanimate objects. They have fears. So much fear wells up in them that they see you not as a good Samaritan, not as somebody who is trying to help them, but as somebody as a threat. This is what they sense. This is what they fear. And remember, the strongest emotion that you have is the emotion of survival. And they strike out with horrific violence at times. And we demonize them and we vilify them. Now, if they happen to be young and in control of their mental faculties and their human faculties, hey, it's all on them. But when they're elderly and they're seniors and they have diabetes and they have coronary issues and they have no access to the Social Security they're probably entitled to or the pension or they've lost contact with their family and friends and we look upon them as if they're a burden, as if they are unsightly, as if they are a violation of our senses. Well, that all has to change. And maybe in the case of this woman, it will. Because you always need a symbol. And for me, she's my mother. We've got to find her. We've got to help her. I'm dedicated to doing that. And to all the others who are out there on that lonely ride of desperation that we call our subways or in our parks or in our streets, out of sight, out of mind. It can't be any longer. And it's not just up to the politicians. They're not doing it. So it's got to be up to all of us. We have to intervene and take action. We can no longer turn our backs because these are our brothers and sisters. Over the course of human history, human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. Ah, you know, my son Anthony finally got the attention of the suits, the mockers, the muckety mucks, and they have changed our podcast to a father and son starring Anthony and Curtis. And he is so proud of that Friday. They had changed the logo, the schematics, everything. You can go to WABCRadio.com for all of the great podcasts here of the regular shows and obviously the specialty shows and the special show, Father and Son. And we are now going to be doing a special podcast that is different than this hour about animal welfare in which we're actually going to be bringing animals into the studio as we film it. And this all uh, stars my wife, uh, Nancy, 
the animal rescuer and a person who motivated me long ago, long ago when we first met. Uh, and as she told me, in the words of Mahatma Gandhi, a society that does not take care of its animals will not take care of its people, and it's obvious. We see that all about us. So I want to thank you uh, uh, on behalf of steering me in the right direction, Nancy, guiding me on these issues because it is of so much concern to so many people out there. These are like their family members. These are like their friends, dogs and cats and other animals. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. So we will have that video available. It will be in podcast form. I know, Nancy, you're working with it with the staff here at WABC. Uh, So it's going to be another addition to uh, having this uh, hour available uh, to you. Uh, And um, I I see we're also working on getting your name in that uh, promo, Nancy. Yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting for the invitation onto the ark itself at this point. Yeah, well, remember, there was Noah and Noah's wife, right? I forget what her name was. She probably didn't get the invitation, exactly. (laughs) Well, that'll definitely take place. And earlier in the day, if you were listening to us, uh, or at least myself and Chris Hahn on the left and right, uh, from 3 to 5, you'll see that I had taken, I had purloined your cell phone. Uh, And you were without that cell phone. I've done that many times, mistaking it for my own. And you didn't have a fit. You didn't, uh, like, rant and rail when I finally brought it back to you between shows. No, I, I, I understand. Um, there's more important things in life to get upset about. But I am constantly surprised that you misperceive it as your own because it's quite a bit larger. So just by – I mean, it has, like, a picture of you on it. So I think there should be a lot of clues like giveaways that it's not yours, but that's okay. No worries. Well, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. <laughs> now, before we go into all the subject matters and we take the calls on animal-related issues, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Just an update. Very articulate gentleman last night in the wee hours of the morning uh, called in, told me about a plot, uh, uh, a uh, actually the plight of some cats up in the Bronx off of Sedwick in the West Bronx. And I promised him that uh, both you and I would address that this week. We've been up there before. There are quite a few cat colonies. But he said that those cats are in distress because the landlord who owns the property apparently is trying to eliminate them. They want to build uh, a new building on the property and they may well be poisoning those cats. So I want anyone who is listening, was listening in the wee hours in the morning to know we are prioritizing that week. They are not going to be killing any of those cats up there. We will find them a home of their own, whether they have to be adopted or forced out. Uh, so I've committed us to do that, uh, Nancy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously this is a, a recurring issue that happens throughout New York City when any sort of um, demolitions or constructions are being done. I mean, these cats are living there for so many years, but unfortunately, because they're not given the legal protections, it becomes this race to try and, you know, uh, create like a safe space for them or to uh, trap them and bring them somewhere else. And, you know, when you're trying to talk to people about it, you know, obviously that's like the last thing on their mind when they're doing the construction. And I mean, that should be something that, you know, is just very, it's just made easy. You should have like a conduit, someone who can contact you directly because it's a given anytime you're doing 
like I said, any sort of a construction in an area, you should have the assumption that chances are there's feral cats out there. And so, you know, if you have if you have someone who's proactive and trying to reach out to you and trying to do what needs to be done, I mean, the least you can do is just work with them to make that happen. Now, there was a caller in the wee hours of the morning uh, just uh, oh, like half a day ago from uh, where we're talking now who uh, was mentioning how there's a shortage of uh, soft food, wet food for cats. Uh, and it's been that way for a while. We go to Gristidi's, uh, which is right there on 84th and Columbus. That's happened from time to time. Other people have uh, noticed that also in other supermarkets and other grocery stores. But this was the conclusion that he came up with. Second of all, cat food. Have you noticed there's a big shortage on wet cat food? Yeah, I don't know. and 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 I I was asking around. I don't know. Do you think it's true? Someone said it's because of the uh, inflation. People are eating it now. Now, Nancy, uh, in hard times before, I know that especially elderly people, senior citizens on fixed incomes, have from time to time been found to have been eating dog food and cat food when they don't have enough money to buy what we would call normally human fare. Is this at all possible that that's one of the reasons that there is seemingly a shortage of the the wet food, uh, the, the uh, soft food uh, that uh, cats might normally uh, enjoy as opposed to the dry food? I, I definitely think there's uh, some possibility that – that could be a reason why. So, uh, for instance, with the the standards for um, making cat food, it's technically along the same lines as human-grade food. So, theoretically, you should be okay eating it. Now, you know, in in your mind, it sounds like such a an unfortunate thing. Like you would hope that people don't have to do it, but then on a practical level, like you said, you have rising costs. And there's only so many things that you can cut down on. So one of the reasons why is if somebody has an existing pet, and one of the easiest ways to save money when you're buying food, obviously, is to buy in bulk. Well, now all of a sudden, you and your pet, you can buy in bulk. So that could actually make sense as to why that's happening. So the you know, aside from it just seeming like a, a sad sort of, reality for rising cost the i mean actually the decent news is that the the level of the food isn't like unsafe for people again it's just such an odd thing to think about it being a reality for people but uh yeah i could say that i i definitely think that could be a possibility well i have met seniors over the years because they were on a fixed income and a it was difficult for them. It would actually explain to me they would take uh, saltine crackers or rich crackers, uh, open up uh, a can of either dog food or cat food, and then use it like a spread and, and then uh, digest it with the cracker on the cracker uh, because they just couldn't, uh, you know, their, their monthly allotment wouldn't allow them to be able to purchase uh, the amount of food that they needed in order to survive. It's. I mean, unfortunately, I think it's. It is a, a sad reality for uh, people when they are on a fixed income, and then you know you go with the also the idea of well, what's involved in general with trying to to eat healthy or to have a 
a complete diet, you know, if it involves uh, having to prepare food or having to go out every day because of that thing, I mean, I think right away you have anything that's canned, anything that has a long shelf life is going to be easier for anyone to keep and store and prepare. So, again, I think it just lends itself to it. And especially if you already have a pet in the home, that's, I think, just, again, maybe some way to save because you can buy in bulk. This is the Animal Welfare Hour featuring uh, Nancy Sliwa, who is an animal rescuer. knows quite a bit about uh, uh, cats and dogs and other animals. Uh, Feel free to call in. Uh, whatever you want to contribute to our discussion or any questions you might have at 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And uh, I know your mother lives in uh, Milford, Pennsylvania now, originally from uh, Greenpoint, and then uh, raised you and your brothers in Bohemia and now is uh, living her retirement years in Pennsylvania, but apparently not far away in Pike County. Uh, the Department of Aging uh, is trying to take care of its senior citizens through providing them with animals. Could you explain to me what that is? So this is a uh, pilot program that just started, and this is a way for seniors who previously had pets in the household and for, you know, either because it's uh, difficult for them to now take care of um, a pet or the, you know, like they they just lost a pet, so they're older and they recognize, okay, I I wouldn't be able to to be there for the span of this pet's life, but they still want to have that direct interaction. So they have a program, Robotic Furry Companion, and it's actually um, little, I mean, basically mock, mock pets, mock dogs and cats, and it's the the size of the shape, and it interacts with people. Uh, you know, the, the heads move, the eyes move, the cats purr, things like that. So it's supposed to create that same sort of environment for people where they get the companionship, but without maybe some of the responsibility that would be a little bit tough for them to take on. Uh, I mean, again, and, and so they, so the pilot program, they're reaching out to seniors who want to sign up to foster a cat, a cat or dog. So that's in Pike County. Um, again, it could, it could be a, a good idea. I, I, you know, I mean, I have a little mixed feelings on it. I would rather see if you know they were using some of the. The money to like if someone wants to have the ability to take care of a cat, but that is maybe the thing that's the concern for them. Uh, the amount of time, or you know, it's a little bit uh, physically difficult to do so. That maybe you could work with local shelters, and they could equally foster cats or dogs, and then have someone who's able to come by and assist them with some of these things. Because again, this is even saying it's like a foster program, so I don't think they're actually giving away these little animals, but. I mean, again, it, it just makes sense. It's something that people really miss if they had a pet, and I think it's a great way to to give. You know, and I've seen this before in programs with uh, seniors if they have like dementia. So I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure if that's the aim of what they're going toward, because I'm not sure how much direct fulfillment one would have with, you know, pretty much a toy. But 
you know, I don't know. Uh, like I guess, it, that's I guess that's the reason why it's a pilot program to see how it goes. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. This is our Animal Welfare Hour, exclusive to WABC. Uh, Maestro, would you please uh, play the opening again? Uh, I think it's pertinent to our next discussion uh, about animal issues. Over the course of human history, human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man. Now, interesting, Noah's Ark, and now you want to be Mrs. Noah on the Ark. (laughs) But there is a biblical name out there of a fish. A fish that is apparently the oldest living fish in an aquarium in the world. The name is Methuselah. And if I remember correctly, that was Noah's grandfather, who was said to have lived to about a thousand years old, according to the Old Testament. And Methuselah the fish, can you... Can you sort of describe Methuselah and who has Methuselah and the uniqueness of this fish? So Methuselah currently resides in the California Academy of Sciences, and its unique quality is it's a lung fish, which is one of the few air-breathing fish. So that makes it unique right there. It Originally, there's like very few habitats where these fish exist, and it's in Australia, where this fish was initially uh, initially taken from. But this fish apparently is at least 95 years old. But interestingly, it's been in captivity at this place, the California Academy of Sciences, for over 80 years now. So it's the oldest living aquarium fish in the world. Uh, there's two other... Uh, fish that reside in that that same um, uh, facility, but they're all kept uh, separately. These fish. So, it's again, it's a very interesting story. This because just the uh, lineage of this fish and its close proximity to you know creatures that existed like millions of years ago. I mean, it's like incredible actually. But you know, it made me. A little sad to think that it's been in captivity by itself for 80 years. So when they describe this fish's personality, you know, with the the people who are caring for it, you know, they they pet the fish and things like that. But yeah, it just makes me sad. I mean, you know, it just makes me sad to think this fish has been living by itself for 80 years, and uh, it just seems just unnatural. I feel bad for the fish. Now, how 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 large is this fish, Methuselah? Well, it's apparently like four feet long and maybe like forty pounds or so. It's a pretty, you know, hefty sized fish. I mean, that's. I mean, that in itself, it, it looks like a snake, like the body shape of it. Well, I mean, apparently, it loves to get rubbed on her <laughs> back and belly. Both. Yeah, the, the the back and the belly. The they they say that they they advise the people who work there treat it like oh, it's like a mellow. Dog, almost like you know, but just happens to live in water. Uh, and then they say, oh, for the most part, it's it's laid back; it doesn't do much. But occasionally, it has like little little spurts of energy where it it, it you know goes darts back and forth. But my assumption is why it doesn't really 
do much is because it figured out a long time ago there's no place to go. So maybe it's not really so much mellow as it is depressed. <laughs> like, I don't know how you can really make that judgment call, but I just feel bad that it's it's been in captivity for 80 years by itself. Now, speaking... I mean, that's a long time, 80 years. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, speaking of uh, dogs, mm-hmm. our own Greg Kelly was talking about, he was musing over the idea of whether to get dialysis for a dog. I heard of a dog recently going for dialysis. Isn't that a little much? I I I, I love dogs, but uh, dialysis? That doesn't sound, I mean, I don't know. So, Nancy, we, we've seen, both of us have seen, especially with dogs, uh, the number of vets, the caretakers, they're getting treatments that humans are getting all the time now. Um, if if you had had a dog and you had dogs when you were out in Bohemia living there with your mother and your uh, brothers, would uh, it ever have dawned upon you if a vet had said you need to bring the dog in for dialysis three days a week that that would have been the route to go? You know, it's hard to put myself back at, at that mindset, but I'm pretty sure if that were to have been suggested at the time, uh, like most of the reasons why I think any sort of health care for animals is something that a lot of people don't think about is by the time you get to a stage like that, it's so um, cost prohibitive. And I think that's really so the, the great thing is that this is an option that is available. But like most people who have pets, I think it's not typical to necessarily bring them yearly or, you know, semi-yearly for visits. I think, you know, you almost wait until there's an issue, something happens. And then unfortunately by then it's, you know, it could be so far along that any sort of uh, route to getting them better is just, you know, you can't afford it. So with the dialysis, I mean, interestingly, this is a, a, a pretty growing field for cats and dogs. And a lot of the places that it's growing most in the United States is in the Northeast. In Manhattan, there's actually two hospitals that specifically address dialysis in cats and dogs. Now, the the good thing about it, again, is that if you catch something early, because it's like very acute kidney disease, the level of um, like the prognosis for them, if you get the dialysis once it's caught early, is extremely good, their prognosis. So obviously, if it's within your means to do so, this is definitely a good option. And then the whole point is, once they do the dialysis, it, it gets it back to where uh, the the kidney, you know, they sort of uh, regain their ability to function sufficiently, where then obviously it's not like a long-term type thing. So that's really the goal with this. So, I mean, again, it's great that it's it's uh, an option now. It's great. I mean, hopefully the costs come down of it. I mean, I think like most things, the costs really won't come down unless you have uh, maybe more pet insurance or people, you know, utilizing the services more. But I mean, at this point, if you can do it and you catch it early enough, it's it's a good option. Uh, let's go, if we can, to uh, Lance, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Lance. Hey, what's going on, guys? What's happening? You got to lower, lower your radio. We're catching the reverb, Lance. Uh, how's this reverb? Is it okay now? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, Curtis, you are a treasure. 
I'm telling you, you are. Listen, I want to answer something. You guys, how long have you been married? Almost four years. Four years, right. That's a blessing in disguise. You know, marriage is a great institution, so don't forget that. <laughs> I don't. It's not the said. <laughs> it's a great institution. Listen, uh, um, I was going to say, listen, Curtis, I know I've been waiting 56, uh, 58 minutes. I'm on time. You know, I always clock people. Um, on the call is for your new show. It's okay. Is it too late to mention that I can talk to your wife, Nancy? No, 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 no. Well, we've taken enough, enough suggestions for this week. We'll have a new name uh, for the um, overnight show uh, come Friday. Let's go to Lewis who's uh, calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lewis. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, you and I have uh, uh, crossed paths a number of times on the subways. I was in uniform, and uh, uh, you were on Bell Boulevard canvassing for uh, the mayor. Well, let me get to this. Thank you, th- thank you for all your help for what you do, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people appreciate it. Uh, what I'd like to ask you is, have you and your wife noticed that there are a lot of animals, uh, in particular dogs, when they start to hit around 10 years old, uh, they start developing tumors? Have you uh, come across that? I have. That's why uh, I'd like your feedback. Nancy? Uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I can't say for sure that if I have noticed that or not, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Like if, if, uh, you, do you think it's, I mean, my guess would be anything that like that would be related to maybe some of the diet. I know the the diets aren't really that great for them, but I'm not sure. Do you think there's like some other, other thing that's accounting for it in general? I do think so. I think that uh, the dog food that they make, even if it's grain-free, which is uh, supposed to be a little more pure for the animals, you kind of question the the makers or the manufacturers. Also, you know, there's a lot of chemicals that uh, are are now used, especially in the summertime, for uh, gardening and, um, you know, landscaping. Uh, well, dogs and cats, they're very low to the ground, you know, so you got the water that's not great. You got the food that you question, and then you have the air, uh, especially here in New York City. So yeah, uh, that's I know, what I noticed. Yeah, in, in, ter- in reference to that, too, I know, like, with a lot of the, the cats who uh, who live outdoors, I always get concerned about just the incredible amount of, like, toxic chemicals that exists, like even when you have um, like the snow, they put down the salt. They use the worst quality salt you could possibly imagine because it's just the cheapest. And every single oh, yeah. person who brings out their animal and then their dogs are walking or the cats are walking on it and then they're cleaning themselves, it's just yep. horrendous. Like these things should be made where they're safe for animals given the fact that all animals are in close proximity to them. Well, you the know – yeah, you know, Lewis, uh, before you continue, uh, I'm going to have to get the name of the product. I met both these young entrepreneurs at the recent anniversary uh, Joe Piscopo had of his Frank Sinatra uh, two-hour show by Ramsey Subaru. They actually have devoted some of their resources to preparing specialized dog food that eliminates uh, all those carcinogens, those other elements that oftentimes do lead uh, two dogs developing not just tumors, 
but all kinds of gastronomical issues, cancers, the same kind of things that affect human yeah. beings, Lewis. Uh, in fact, I'll get I'll get their name and the product uh, in next week's show and be able to share that with everyone. Oh, that sounds like a plan. Uh, I just want to add to this. Uh, what I uh, by the time uh, I know I want to speak to your wife about this, uh, the chemotherapy and the radiation that they're doing. Uh, it's a new phenomenon with the animals, uh, with the vets. A lot of times, sir, by the animals start to develop what what they pick up on and you can pick up on as a homeowner or a pet owner. You know, you get into the 8 to 10, 11 years, these uh, these type of uh, um, procedures with the animals, they're too old to even handle it. That's, that's the sad part. Uh, but I've had six rescues in my life. When I was uh, working with the police department in Brooklyn back in the 80s and 90s, where you and I were very, very active, uh, I used to grab the dogs from the streets. I used to fix them up. I uh, had a couple of vets that used to do pro bono work uh, for the for the guys in Coney Island, and uh, we used to find great homes for the pets. But uh, I want to thank you and your wife, and you enjoyed the rest of your night, sir. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you. And I will have the names of those two entrepreneurs and their special dog food uh, that was created by them to eliminate all those problems that Lewis was talking about. Let's go to Frankie calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard on the Animal Welfare Hour here, exclusive to WABC, Frankie. Frankie. Hello. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, no, this is me. Yes. Uh, Mikey from Brooklyn. The yes, Mike. yes, Mike. <laughs> How you doing? Good. Uh, enjoying this hour. Uh, and I just wanted to say uh, there's a couple issues that I just wanted to uh, – no, they're not really issues. Well, they could be. Uh, one is the, the elderly, you know, or people, just anybody living on a fixed income. Uh, really, there's some alternatives. There's like Chef Voyardee in the can for a buck. You know, raviolis and spaghetti meatballs and vegetables in the can, two for a dollar. I mean, I, I you know, that would leave more food for the for the pets, you know. Yeah, but I tell you, Frankie, I have seen it in the past. Senior citizens, because they've had fixed incomes, uh, forced to eat cat and dog food. I used to uh, stock the pet food aisle uh, at AMP. Used to be a huge uh, supermarket there, 13 aisles uh, in uh, Canarsie off of Forster Avenue and Rockaway Parkway across from the 69th Precinct. And um, uh, remember how they uh, would put dented cans in a uh, supermarket cart and they would give you a reduced price. They don't do that any longer. But oftentimes uh, I would see senior citizens. They would be taking the dented uh, food cans, uh, pet food cans, and uh, clearly be utilizing it for their own survival and not because they had any pets. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Elizabeth calling from Nanuet. Your turn to be heard on the animal welfare uh, segment of WABC, Elizabeth. Hi. Um, I'm not calling about cats or dogs or animals because I really don't like them. I'm terrified of dogs, and I really don't like cats. I go scat when I see a cat. I'm sorry, Nancy. But... <laughs> The only reason I listen to this show is because I, 
justly, Nancy talks to you, um, uh, Curtis. She loves you. I, I just love her manner. She's a lovely lady. And I have to say, Curtis, you're really very nice to her also. So you better not let this one go. <laughs> very Thank good. You. Now, now, Elizabeth, where, where did, because my mother had that same thing, fear of dogs, fear of cats. Where did that fear come from, Elizabeth? I don't know. If, a, a dog, if I see a dog and he starts coming near me and starts, uh, he'll sniff at me. Uh, I just stand very straight and pray that he'll go away. And a cat, I just go, scat, scat. At least a cat listens to me. But a dog, if I make any movement, he'll just jump on me. I can't. Uh, I, don't know. I know. Maybe I was traumatized as a child. I have no idea. Yeah, well, that, that, that was my mother's uh, situation is that apparently she had been traumatized in a very uh, younger years by a cat so she always had this fear of cats and then dogs because uh, my grandfather Fidel Bianchino had uh, uh, large dogs they were hunting dogs Uh, she had a fear of that now is there any way uh, Nancy that there is a way that people can overcome those fears of whether dogs or cats or other animals I mean I I think if if you spend any time uh, you know, really trying to just socialize with them at all, and especially the ones that have, you know, you, you want to have, like, certain uh, personalities. So, for instance, if you're going to, like, the shelter and they'll describe the animals, some of them, obviously, they're very skittish because, you know, they're in this different environment. But when you have the personality where, oh, they're just so, so uh, domesticated, they're so friendly, you know, you can feel a little more comfortable interacting with them. But, again, so, uh, you know, I guess, like, you know, it could be that you just had a bad experience and then it never got uh, really rectified. So I think there's always a possibility to just really find these animals that you can still interact with if if that's something you're looking to do. But I always think um, the the earlier exposure you have to to animals in positive ways – is so important because it does reinforce that thing because I know periodically if uh, I've had people who they're afraid of cats and it's because when they were younger they went to someone's house and the and the the cat was a little bit more of a skittish cat and you know like with kids they might start like grabbing on a tail or trying to pick it up and then of course the cat reacts and uh, you know it, that's just something that stays in someone's mind and if they never get past it or they never try to get past it yeah, that's the thing. So you just have to, if that's something you want to do, I would say definitely just, uh, you know, you push forward a little bit. But, I mean, they're great. I mean, especially the ones who, the older cats, they, all they like to do, like just, just sit on the desk next to you, sit on your lap, sit next to you as you're doing something. I mean, they're not like the kittens who are, you know, scattering around all of, all of so it's, again, the different personalities I think you can work with. Our number is one 800 Let's go to Olivia calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare segment of WABC, Olivia. Yes, hello. God bless you guys. Amazing. I just ended up having to weep through that last segment. We'll be praying for Mary Reeves there, but for the grace of God, go any of us. Thank you guys for what you're doing. You know, Nancy, I had a question for you. I do some rescue work with feral colony of cats. How do you get them to get along? Um, oftentimes I've brought some in if they need medical care and fostered them. I had a few foster fails, but none of them seem to ever get along. And maybe it's my projection of energy. I don't know. But you have a wonderful family of, of, of felines. How, does, how do they get along? How are you able to do that? It's fabulous. 
I, I run a tight ship here, <laughs> but in terms of the the yeah. feral ones, th- that's always the the tricky part. Uh, the feral yeah, ones yeah. that I've dealt with, they're great outdoors, but right. but when there's you bring something them very in, innate in them when they're inside, sure. when they start getting nervous, and right. even again, even if they knew each other outside, I think it's just it's so against their nature to be. Right. Uh, indoors at that point. So, yeah, yeah. that's a tough one. I, I mean, so I, the ones, I'm, yeah, the ones I have there, like, how, either the I got them when they were social. Yeah. Yeah, right. Or, like, right. I got No, I've had the feral ones that, yeah. have, that have needed some medical, you know, those I know. But even the ones that are rather domesticated, social, how how do they, how do you introduce them? How well, do, how, yeah, so usually what I do balance. is I have, uh, I mean, I definitely keep them separated at first. So I have, uh, right. like, a, a big crate and so the crate will be so this way everyone gets to look at each other and see each other but not be in direct contact where it's like a threat and my cats are always the ones who are most curious the new cat is you know usually tries to hide out a little bit but you know they, it's like it, it's it's a given that they always want to show their dominance like okay this is my house and you're the new one so like you take orders from me but after a couple of days they get over it and they're not as interested in going past the the crate and, you know, doing a little hiss or whatever. It's like, and then slowly you open the door, and then before they know it, it's like, oh, the cat's walking around instead of just being there. So, yeah, and always, I absolutely always have to keep an eye on it, like the first couple days that that happens, because for the most part, I mean, the most that I've had happen is, you know, the you know they'll just, like, play fight for a little bit, or, you know, someone gets, like, scared, someone chases someone, but it usually calms down pretty quickly, um, we have like one cat, Athena, who she always has to start trouble with everybody. I don't know why, <laughs> but she calms down too. So you know, and that's also that also is affected the types of cats I bring in. So I usually go for either very small young cats or I get older cats because they're definitely not viewed um, by my cats as a threat. So it, it's definitely I would say the middle-aged ones that are the tough ones. You know, they're a little too rambunctious for them. The kittens, they're goofy enough where, you know, they're no big deal. The seniors don't bother them, so they don't really care. So, yeah, I, I always have to find a sweet spot which, with which ones will work with my cats. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I brought Anthony over to the house earlier today when I had purloined your cell phone. <laughs> yeah. And Athena, and again, what is, uh, she's a Norwegian, what kind of cat? Norwegian forest cat. Yeah, she's a big girl. She doesn't get along with anybody, but she loves Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she actually, she uh, uh, knew Anthony, I think, basically from the time that we rescued her, and she was only about a month or so when we found her outdoors. So she kind of grew up with Anthony, and when Anthony would, would stay here on the weekends, uh, they, like, Athena would always be uh, sleeping next to him. So it's like, yeah, they... Uh, they definitely built a bond, but you're right. If another person, like a stranger, comes over, she's the first one to go hiding in the closet. Like, you wouldn't even know we had this cat. Like, that's how much of a scaredy cat she is. But she was, like, right there with Anthony. Now, why do you think that is? Athena is the matriarch. She's the oldest female. And then we have the patriarch, who is Apollo. Uh, we uh, rescued him from the East New York uh, Animal Care and Control and he will also run whenever he sees a stranger. Why the oldest cats, uh, the leaders of the pack, run away? You know, that's that's actually a a really a really good question. 
Yeah, I would just, I mean, I just think it's just normal psychology. This is their domain. They're safe in this domain, but I mean, they pretty much rule the roost. It's only you and I here. Like no one is traipsing through the apartments other than us. And then when they see people, they're looking out the windows, but they have their this is like their safe comfort zone. So I I'm pretty sure it would it would is like sort of the invasion, so to speak. I mean, someone has just you know come into their safe area. So that must be throwing like little red flags for them. Like, so the safest place to go is the closet where no one can find them. Let's go to Diane in Crown Heights. Your turn to be heard here on the animal welfare segment with Nancy Sliwa here on WABC. Diane. Hi, good morning, guys. I have my wonderful cats and we're growing older together. (laughs) The mommy, uh, she was a rescue cat. She's gone now for like, I think a year and a half, Uh, but she had the kids in the house. And uh, there was Cubby, the boy, a big, beautiful ebony guy, and Sprout and Flippy. Cubby passed a little over a year ago. And um, so now I have um, Sprout and Flip. And, um, you know, Sprout, Nancy, she's got a bit of a a bladder problem. And she's a little chunky, you know, also a big girl, too. So you know what I do? I buy uh, wee-wee pads. And uh, I put wee-wee pads around, around the floor, you know, around the house. What, what are you going to do? That's what you I You know, do. I have one of the, um, the, the cats that we had who yeah. was having trouble with, uh, you know, making it to the litter box a while back. Mm-hmm. And like you said, yeah. like, and, and the thing was, he was actually trying to get there, and he would almost be, yeah. like, right outside – so yeah. I I started doing that as well because I mean like you said what else are you gonna do so and then I also have um, a litter box that I got now uh, and especially this because like the older cat we have tuna where it's like a yeah. a lower uh, thing to it so it's easier to walk into so I get mm-hmm. at that point anything you can do to make it easier for them but you're right the yeah. the wee pads has has been a total lifesaver for me in those instances yeah. because sometimes that's just what they need. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes she'll, she'll, I mean, thank goodness she does on the wee-wee pad, but sometimes she'll do it on the floor. Well, listen, what are you going to do? And also, you know, the fellow Lewis that just called before about the bumps on the door, doggies. My grand doggie, Wally, uh, you know, my daughter-in-law had uh, breast cancer a couple of years back, and thank God she's okay now. But do you know that, Nancy, that Wally, seem to get bumps and lumps when, when my daughter-in-law has something. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, Can you believe it? I've heard stories like this, and, and, and I see it. I see it with Wally. He's a beautiful black and white shih tzu. I call him the patchwork, patchwork prince. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really something. But the last time she took uh, him to the vet, thank goodness, like it's like a bump on his stomach, but it's just a, a, like a lipoma, I think the vet said, a lipoma. It's like fatty. No, I mean, and it, it, it is interesting, the the level of connectedness that uh, animals can have with their their owners. I mean, if they can feel the energies, I think it, it I mean, it does kind of make sense because, I mean, you're just so interconnected. And like I said, animals are very perceptive. I know the cats we have are always around Curtis when he's like his blood pressure, like they, they sense that in him. So I think if they can sense it, they can also probably feel it. And it's like, you know, anything, I mean, you know, the energies could just be, 
Yeah, I mean, they're, they're maybe just like sympathizing in that sense, and it's just reflecting in their body. Well, remember, at this time, uh, uh, in the wee hours of the morning, we're heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, a bit of Europe. Uh, and uh, let's go north to old Canada. The Michael is calling from uh, their nation's capital, Ottawa. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour, exclusive to WABC, Mike. Thank you, Curtis. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Uh, listen, uh, Curtis, I have followed you for probably 30 years when you first started uh, the Guardian Angels. Um, I, wa- I want to say thanks to both you and your wife. Um, when I was a child, I witnessed my father beating animals to death because he had some problems, okay? And I grew up as a person who would give my life for a sparrow, and I mean that. So I, I just want to say thank you. I love what you're doing. Um, there, there is. I know it all comes down to money these days. Uh, it's the same in Canada. It's all about money. But um, Curtis, you're my man. I, I listen to you all the time. Every ta- every chance I get. I mean, I only get you when the night falls here because um, I can't get the signal after nightfall. You know? now, now, question but, though, Michael, uh, when you were witnessing your father killing animals Um, and this happens it's not a rare situation there have been other uh, individuals men and women that I've spoken with who remembers uh, uh, either their father or older brother torturing animals or killing animals how did you react when you saw that because here it is he's your father but you obviously realized probably that this was not right I wanted to kill him I wanted to kill him, and I knew where the guns were. We were on a farm, and I knew where the guns were, and I knew how to kill him because I watched him kill animals. The twenty-two in the head, first the shotgun, 12-gauge, and then the twenty-two. But I knew that if I did that, Curtis, it was going to be the end of my life. I was 8, 10 years old. It would be the end of my life. These animals were going to be dead soon, and I, I was hoping for a life ahead of me. It wasn't much because I have suffered with the, the nightmares and then the, and the, the, the just I've been haunted by this. That's a heavy know? weight for for a young person to, to carry with them. That's... I love you guys for what you're doing because we need more people like you. Um, well, just I mean, just, just think, just think what you said, Michael. It's resonated to so many people listening that you were so angry at your father for torturing these animals, killing these animals on your farm, uh, yeah. that you were thinking of getting that twenty two of that shotgun and plugging him right in the back of his head. Well, fucking right, yes. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but yes. No, yes. no, 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 I'm totally understood, totally understood. And a lot of people don't understand the abuse of animals mm-hmm. that takes place around our country, Canada, especially in third world countries. It's almost like there's not a prohibition to it. Uh, But it all goes back to uh, what you taught me uh, years ago when I met you six years ago, Nancy, when you told me, look, Mahatma Gandhi said that a society that does not take care of its animals will not take care of its people. And it it is so evident. It is so evident uh, when we witness how we... uh, don't treat our people who are in need well, and then it just translates into our animal friends or our animal family members. Yeah, 
and 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 just to to the point too it's like with uh young people when they are in a situation and they have to witness these things i mean th- th- there's a reason why you really want to have these these laws against animal abuse because people are growing up having to see this and thankfully you know he was actually he had the the strength of character where he realized oh this is wrong but that's not that's not fair to impose that on young people that's that's going to stay with it, people, and that's that's really wrong. Yeah, well, we felt the pain, we felt the hurt, and uh, yeah. at least we've created a forum here at WABC where people can describe these horrible situations, and hopefully, it can prevent others from happening. Thanks again, uh, Nancy. Uh, we're going to take care of that issue up in the Bronx. It was brought to our attention hours ago of cats uh, who apparently uh, a landlord who wants the land to be able to develop property is uh, trying to kill those cats. Uh, We'll be able to report to you next week, same time, same place. We will adopt them. We will foster them. We will make sure that they stay out of harm's way. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Curtis. Given a reprieve one more week by... uh, Matthew Meany, our program director, who said we need another week to go through an assortment of suggestions for a new name. It was triggered off by your objections, Frank Morano. That's right. We have a reputation to maintain. Man. Meantime, I see you've been lighting it up this past week, creating international headlines with your back-to-back interviews of Roger Stone and followed by Paul Manafort, and then leading to uh, WABC being temporarily banned from the YouTube channel. I thought, uh-oh, that's it for Frank. Uh, that's going to cause uh, lots of problems uh, with the owners, the operators here. And yet they seem to rally around you, uh, wave the Frank Morano flag, and say you did the right thing. Uh, can you explain a little bit of that with all the attention uh, that got focused in your direction for those great well, interviews? So I don't uh, – let, let me talk about the Stone issue first. So I had Roger on uh, seven days ago, exactly, almost at this time. And I don't know what he said that people took issue with. You know, I guess he raised some questions. I'm not going to repeat them because I don't want the uh, powers that be that are streaming our show now to g- get banned, you know, over there. But he raised some questions about the – uh, the election and uh, some concerns that a lot of people have. Now, I didn't embrace those concerns. I asked uh, what I felt were challenging questions on a lot of these uh, uh, assertions that he brought up. And that really wasn't the focus of the interview. Honestly, I think they just banned us because they, they don't like Roger Stone and because Roger Stone has become such a lightning rod. I uh, I had asked Molly to go through the, the verbatim every minute of that interview to see what possibly we could be found as peddling misinformation. Uh, she unfortunately had to leave town before she could get to it. But I honestly, I think this ban is totally fallacious. I think it's because we're, I think it's because, you know, I provided a forum for Roger Stone, who's banned from everywhere. What does fallacious have to do with no, this? Please. Uh, even Donald Trump, he did an interview on the YouTube recently and he that show was taken down because he raised some of those same questions about the election. So I'm not raising any questions, but I will say that big tech censorship of people that do raise these questions, it's outrageous. As I pointed out to John Katzmatidis Sunday morning on the Katz Roundtable is 
a year ago, if you would have talked about COVID coming from a lab in Wuhan, China, they would have banned you for that. Uh, so um, it's, 10 months ago, if you were to you know, talk about a Hunter Biden's laptop, you wouldn't have been able to post that. So uh, I think rather than rush to suppress free speech and rush to suppress what people can say, you know, if you have to put a warning label on something like saying these claims are unverified, fine. But to take it down and suspend a whole channel, it, it, is just, it just smacks of corporate, now, of corporate censorship. What is your gut reaction? Was it through algorithms, uh, the mentioning of Roger Stone, that I, it drew their yes, attention? I, I think so. I think that's exactly what it was. Or do you uh, think somebody ratted Stone. you out? Do you think somebody now, ratted could, you if, out? If there's anybody ratting me out, it's you. So I don't think you would have done it to the whole station. So I, I'm crossing you off my How did you? I got a, a frantic call from our president, Chad, who uh, said, don't, you know, uh, you know, you, you know, we're suspended from YouTube. Because you had Roger Stone on talking about, you know, X. He says, don't talk about that again. Otherwise, we're going to get suspended from Vimeo. And, um, he, you know, then he said, um, don't don't say on the air that the boss told you not to mention it. That's, you know, that's Bush League. That's something Curtis Lee would do. By the way, I noticed how they rallied around you. Uh, you're like the golden child here, the golden calf. You can do no wrong. Because of these two interviews, all of a sudden, I even mention anything about you. You're like an untouchable. Well, that's very kind. I actually have been, uh, speaking of my newfound golden boy status, I have been asked uh, all this week with Sid Rosenberg out to fill in on the Bernie and Sid show from 6 to 7 this morning. So now, uh, now, uh, people should tune in. So Sid is off. He's acting in the Gemini Lounge movie. These are all people I grew up with. There is a guy, Chris Rosenberg, who was like the first member of that Gemini lounge crew, a Jewish guy who wanted to be Italian, just like Sid. Yeah. So I said to Sid, oh, you're going to play the role of Chris Rosenberg? He said, no, I don't want to play the role of a Jewish guy. I said, but that would have been perfect for you. So he's going to be out, what, an entire week? That's my understanding. He's Him a, he's and a Bo Deedle are doing uh, this huge movie, it's something I want to see. Because yeah, Gemini Lounge. I grew up with the Gemini Lounge twins, who were uh, Joey Testa and Anthony Centaur. And then Patty Testa, he got whacked in his uh, chop shop. Oh, I know that story. I lived through that story. So you're going to do it every morning. Till seven, and then how do they do the rest of the show if he's shooting a movie? Well, so Sid is not on this week, right? So I, it's Bernie and I would guess a rotating, ah, okay. a rotating cast of of partners. Okay, so Bernie is uh, in recovery right now. He gets his chemo about once a month. So, wow, this is incredible. You know, yeah. Sid Rosenberg. And it's funny. I don't know if you heard me mention this Friday when Sid popped in, but the character that Sid is playing is Joey uh, Joey Dracula Guglielmo. And I know you know your mob history very well. But he robbed a bank in the middle of the day, dressed as a woman, stole a getaway car, and then uh, in the middle of the then he flipped the stolen car in his hurry to get away. He stripped off the woman's clothing as he was running away, but he didn't wipe off his makeup. So then they catch him. <laughs> the manager of the bank identifies him right away, and uh, he was still wearing the makeup. And he responded to the bank manager after the bank manager IDs him, and he says. How the F did you know it was me? I was dressed like a woman. So that's <laughs> who Sid is playing. What a guy on. But anyway, I didn't know that Joey. Dracula, right? Joey Dracula. Uh, him I didn't know. Joey Testa. I remember that. Uh, Gemini Twins. I mean, these guys would Khashoggi you. Uh, at least 50, maybe more. 
of the victims who were lured into the Gemini. Sometimes they'd have a honeypot there who would lure them in. And then they would take them up to the uh, bathroom and they would do a Khashoggi number on them, pack up their body parts, put them in uh, plastic bags and take them out to the uh, the dump, the Spring Creek dump. Well, but as far as the Paul Manafort interview, I got a, a lot of, of news coverage of that. Yahoo News did a big thing. Uh, Business Insider did a big thing. I received a nice private message from Howard Feynman, the former uh, senior editor at Newsweek. Uh, that m- made quite a few waves. I was very surprised to hear his approach to this Ukraine-Russia situation. If you listen to the two of us, now, Paul Manafort, a lot of people believe, is a Russian agent and a Putin puppet. If you listen to the two of us in that interview, you'd think that uh, that I was the one that was soft on Russia and Manafort is the one that uh, wants to be a hardliner in Russia. So that was interesting. And uh, this morning, coming up in about three hours, I am going to talk with a fan favorite in our area, Uncle Floyd. F- Uncle Floyd oh, is going to be Uncle here. Floyd. Very much looking forward oh, to Oh, I remember he would be at the Ice Palace in Totowa and perform there. And he had the uh, overnight show in the wee hours of the morning on NBC, national show. Mm-hmm. And I was in Cleveland organizing the Guardian Angels West Cleveland. I was staying at a family's house. It was the husband and wife who were the leaders. And they had a pit bull terrier. And I was sleeping in the living room and watching Uncle Floyd at like 3, 4 in the morning. He was playing the piano. He was telling jokes. He was entertaining. He had some other side characters. And the pit bull actually locked his jaw on to my ankle. <laughs> and I couldn't move because it was dreaming. It was having a nightmare. <laughs> I I ended up watching two hours of Uncle Floyd with a pit bull terrier attached to my ankle. This is incredible. I'm looking forward to talking with him. Where is is Uncle Floyd now? Well, he's in Jersey. He's always in Jersey. He is New Jersey's favorite son, except maybe for Joe Piscopo. Now, let me ask you a question. It has been rumored that because of these interviews back-to-back, belly-to-belly, where you are the untouchable, the golden calf here, the future of talk radio at WABC, as the suits refer to you, that there's a possible nomination going in for the prestigious Marconi Award. I have you? not heard that actually, but uh, well deserves, I will say, if that's the case. How do you like? And not only that, notice he walks in here, and all of a sudden, WABC Radio TV goes on. WABC Radio TV, so you can watch the entirety of the other side of Midnight with Frank Morano. But what happened from nine o'clock this evening? All through the animal welfare segment with my wife, much more appealing to look at than either you or I. This is true. And then all of a sudden, there's I get no lens lights time whatsoever, no FaceTime whatsoever. You see, they are prejudiced against me here. They have elevated you to the golden calf status of talk radio. That's right. That's right. Deservedly so. By the way, people who want to submit name changes to the, you know, the the Curtis Twilight Zone edition of the other side of midnight, whatever we're calling it, they, they don't have to email me. I am, everybody's emailing me with name changes. Tell folks how they can get well, in no, touch no, with no. you. Email it to me. Just okay. send it on to me. All right. All no, right. no. We've compiled. There's about 338 suggestions that we have to go through. Focus oh. group. Then the suits, then obviously John and Margot are the final decision makers since they're the owner-operators of our parent Stuart company. Stuart Queens, did you return his campaign contribution? No, yet? hell no. It'll be a dark day in hell before I ever mm-hmm. do that. But Frank mm-hmm. Morano, uh, you bogarted me with this uh, TV broadcast.